So, welcome to Bonehead, Mr. William Sandell. Now, do you want to be called uh, Mr. Sandell, William, Will, Bill? No, no, Bill's. Bill's great. I thought it was Bill. I just wanted to make sure. We're from Kentucky, sure, so you. we have that whole Southern hospitality kind of thing. So, we're going to call him Frank. We're going to call him Frank, yeah. <laughs> okay, good. good. That yeah. sounds like a start to a so-called bonehead. Bonehead. Well, <laughs> uh, actually, you a friend of ours who really got us connected with a lot of folks, uh, I don't know if you know him. His name is Mick Strawn. He was a production designer on a lot of movies in the 80s and the 90s. I don't know if you're familiar with him or not. No, but that's it's funny. I don't because that's sort of my era. And yeah. I was very busy. 90s you know doing back to back to back to back shows so right yeah but no he, i the name the name doesn't ring a bell yeah a, uh, let's just say mick strawn gave us the we always wanted to but we but he was the one that gave us the uh bloodlust to talk to uh people who work in in in, in hollywood so <laughs> thank well, you mick uh, i tell you i tell you what he did really well was that he and, and he orchestrated this, and we kind of already knew it. We enjoy talking to production designers, artists, directors, writers, behind-the-scenes folks. Maybe, and I don't uh -huh. necessarily mean this as a negative thing, but maybe someone who's not in the trailer for four or five hours a day. Makes uh -huh. sense? Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. Because but, you guys always well, have the best stories. Well, yeah, because I, I never sit around. That's for, that's for sure. I mean, the prom master would make me a, a chair with my name on it, and i just tell him since I got in the business, you're never going to see me sitting in it. You know, no way. Right. I mean, that's the last thing a director wants to see is look over his shoulder and see his production designer sitting there. <laughs> you know, it's like, Hey, uh, what, what about the next set we're supposed to be moving on to tomorrow? I hope it's ready. You know, they don't, no way would I, you know, I'm always, I stand, if I'm on the stage, I'm standing. You know, so. <laughs> well, let's start out with a really easy question that I'm sure you've answered 4,000 times, but I, I, I read, you know, a little bit about you, a little bit, there's not a ton of stuff on IMDb. We've been friends on, on social media for a while, and I follow a lot of you. I love your desert trips to meet with your friend. Oh, yeah, and, a lot uh, of time out there. Right, so really what what started your love was there a movie a particular movie that got you going as a kid like most of us or was it just a love for the business did you fall in, into it well you know I, it's it's um I, i've lived all my life and in fact i'm a fourth generation los angeles you know person <laughs> my son my son being the fifth and it's Right. My family wasn't in the entertainment business. They were small businessmen. And I didn't know anybody in the business. But I, I was an artist and uh, started showing my kinetic sculptures. Joe, maybe you've seen some on my site. That I I'm saw one that you, in. yeah, is it, are you building yeah. something today that you posted? Yeah, I just posted, I'm, you know, I'm, we're kind of sheltering in place here, right? In Los Angeles, trying to stay right. out of the plague here. Yeah, I, well, I can't we are too. Just yeah, it's the same with you guys, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, anyway, you meet when you live in L.A., you meet film people. And I eventually a producer at uh, Warner Brothers, Fred Weintraub, walked into uh, a place I was selling my sculptures and and bought one and had me over to Warner Brothers. He just finished producing Woodstock and uh -huh. hiring Marty Scorsese to edit it. And, uh, you know, I eventually moved into his house. I need a place to live. So I was making my art and you know marty moved from new york to uh, lived at fred's house for a while and a lot of it was an interesting house michael wadley the filmmaker lived there for a while oh, wow oh, really that was a big kind of art art thing and me, meanwhile it, we're, i'm working in the office and i'm making my sculptures and 
you know, he's getting ready to produce Enter the Dragon and, you know, but uh-huh. Marty was, I watched Marty in the house with Marty Martin, his writing partner, write Mean Streets. So, oh. Uh, oh, and they're, they're showing, you know, I'm borrowing my Bell and Howell from my mom to show Marty 16 millimeter movies. And, uh, oh, you know, he's talking about his hopes and dreams here and whatnot. Eventually, he finishes Mean Streets, and he tells me, and this is his exact words, quit doing that fucking art and come work on the movie with me. Because he'd, he'd, he'd met an art director in Texas when he, when he did uh, uh, Roger Corman's uh, Boxcar. Boxcar Bertha. Yeah. And uh, he, he brought the Texas guy, a very nice guy named David Nichols here to LA, but he, he didn't know LA. So Marty hired me and I was assistant art director and the set dresser and the everything. So that was my first movie. I worked on Mean Streets. Oh, so, and, so uh, Mean Streets came before Invasion of the B-Girls or your, 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 yeah. your, or the young nurses where you were an act, where you had a part. Yeah. Yeah. Before I got started doing all these Roger Corman ones, I did uh, Marty's movie. And in fact, all that furniture, you know, came out of my mom's house. We didn't have any money on the, on the show, you know. So my, I, I moved a five-ton up to my mom's house in Encino here in the San Fernando Valley. <laughs> I remember distinctly, she goes, uh, what are you doing? I said, I need all your furniture, Mom. I, we have no money. I, she said, well, I thought you were – a gallery which helps her for quite a bit of money, actually, at the time for a 20-year-old. But yeah. uh, I said, oh, no, I'm in the film business now, Mom. She's like, What? So I took all her furniture. <laughs> I still laugh about that when I see the movie. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so that got me going. And then I, yeah, the, the answer to your question is, if you live in Los Angeles, you just meet people that are in the business, you know, right. and they, and they tell you, uh, you know, hey, you want to work on this thing? And you go, well, yeah, you know, and you don't get any money. But then something else happens and they say, well, he's this guy, you know, and then you work on that. And pretty soon you get a hundred bucks. And, yep. you know, I kind of think it's like that still in town here. I think I, I live at the brewery artist lofts downtown in L.A. And uh-huh. I'm surrounded by young filmmakers. And I think it's very much the same these days. Well, is there I'm still I have two or three questions right in a row. But this one I want to just so you didn't have maybe a love for film. As you were growing up, there wasn't a movie that oh, like, oh, I want to. Oh, certainly! I like everybody. I just loved films. You know, I, you know, watching them on TV. You know, there was really no video market right. yet. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just watched the Late Show on the TV. It's very much what you'll hear Joe Dante say, and uh-huh. you know, uh, Marty will say. Everybody that loved films, the only outlet we had was late night, uh, our local TV station playing. Right old horror movies and old B movies and old, you know, better movies. And, um, you know, I, I always loved movies, but I really had no illusion, you know, that I would be in the film business. It just sort of happened. Right. Which I'm thankful for, you know? So I've got to ask, what's your best batshit Roger Corman story? Oh my God. <laughs> there's so many. I know there's so many. And and we've talked to so many people. We, I've met Roger once. Actually, I got to meet Roger once, which was really cool. Um, he uh-huh. barely talked to me, which is fine. I, he, I wouldn't have talked to me either. If, we were, if I had a short film playing at a film festival, he had no desire to be, to look at it. Right. But uh, he did acknowledge my existence, which I really appreciated. Right. And he was, he was a gentleman. I, I had, I had uh, dinner with he and Julie at this producer's house. I just mentioned my mentor uh-huh. and boss, Fred, Fred Weintraub about, God, it was about three years ago, I think. 
and God, I was sitting across, there's just six of us, you know, me and uh, my yeah. girlfriend and um, Roger and Julie and Fred and uh, his wife. And uh, my God, I'm looking at him. He looked younger than me. That man is not aging. It's really oh, no. weird. I know. He was in... like, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. It, well, it's like Joe Dante. Joe Dante isn't aging. You know, at, at Corman, I met all these people. You know, if you worked at, at New World Pictures back in the day, yeah. I did 10 pictures for Roger in various capacities. Prop master on a couple, yeah. uh, stunt guy on one, art director on a few. And, you know, it, it was the, it was our film school. But, yeah. you know, Ron Howard was in there. And one day I met him in the, in the hallway. He says, Bill, you want to do this eat my dust thing? I'm trying to do this movie and I need that. And I said, oh, God, I'm not. I'm going to do this werewolf movie I was about to do with the howling. And, you know, and they, oh, okay. And then you run into somebody else and they're all there. Jonathan Kaplan and, right. you know, Marty had been there and Joe Dante was still editing trailers. And he and Alan. And Alan. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Right. So it was, it was really, uh, uh, I, you know, I just went to a screening of uh, at the Egyptian theater on Hollywood Boulevard with uh, John Sales and Joe Dante. And uh, they were on stage. There was a double bill. What a great double bill of Piranha and the howling oh <laughs> my <man>. god <laughs> it was packed with people and you know john was talking about writing these movies and joe who's you know just you know he's people love joe and you you know why i mean he just loves film and he has such a great storyteller mm -hmm. and what up on stage what both he and john agreed about you know in the sort of the dialogue between films was working for roger as harrowing as it was financially speaking, is he let you do your thing. Right. All you had to do was come in on budget. Right. And, and Joe quoted Roger, and I'd heard this before, he quoted uh, Roger as saying, look, if you do two pictures for me that get released and make money, you'll never have to work for me again. <laughs> and I thought that was so true as when Joe said it, because you've established that you can make a movie on a budget and then people start looking at, you, you know, regular studios and better people. So everybody agreed that contrary to what, what some of our memories are about how harrowing it was and like one day to edit a scene and yeah. three days, you know, wrap the thing. Right. Uh, they have fun of the whole thing as do I. I, I really do. I mean, it was, you know, it was, no money and uh you know you're eating on the street and somebody will throw you a pizza and right. you know you're asked to do a lot of stuff i mean one day there was no stunt man so i said well i'll, I'll do the stunt so i did a stunt you know yeah. another what, day what, st uh, what stunt did you do i gotta i gotta ask about that stunt what 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 did you do <laughs> it's uh it's it's funny i ran into joe right after uh candy stripe nurses <laughs> was released. I worked on Candy Stripe Nurses. I'm looking at the posters right now. Oh, I worked man. on Young Nurses, Candy Stripe Nurses. What's one more, too? Uh, that must have been a terrible young, job with a horrible view. Well, what, what they did for me is this is typical Corman. They set up a, they asked me, I was working on Rock and Roll High School for a couple of days. We're all oh, wow. sharing all these movies you know yeah so i someone said hey can you make us a breakaway bench and a thing and a break we have a stunt and we're going to do it off sunset boulevard in the middle of the night and these crazy candy striped nurses 
are in a car and they're all drunk and they almost roar down a guy. So I said, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. So I made a, you know, I was, I've always had a wood shop. I've always been a woodworker. So I built them a couple of benches and a breakaway pole and a breakaway this and all this stuff. So I go out there, set up the gag on the middle. I don't need, probably we didn't even have permits, right? Off right. of sunset. So then they got four cameras, stunt coordinator and somebody like Julie Corman or something has forgotten to call the stunt guy. So they had no stunt guy to sit on the bench. <laughs> So I go, I'll, I'll sit on the bench, you know? So here comes this car and the stunt guy's blown his whistle, but I can see the car out of the corner of my eye. And I jump up at right at the last minute, car smashes everything. I dive between the cameras. And I think the coordinator almost had a heart attack, <laughs> but I, I ran into Joe at a, I ran into Joe at a party uh, a few months after he cut that trailer. And I was watching TV the day before and I'd seen myself in the trailer for Sandy's Craig Nurses. And I go, hey, I'm in the trailer. And he goes, it was the only decent thing in the whole movie because it's such a harrowing scene. I'll send, I'll send it to you, Joe, if you want me to. I'll send it to crack up. But I mean, you had to be a multitasker, a multitasker when you're working for Roger. You know, you're art director one day, you're prop master the next, then you're building a set, and then you're an actor. I'm an actor and another one. I'm an ambulance driver, and I drop a body. And, you know, Dick Miller is always in the scene. And, right. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it was just great fun. Great we fun. A, I look back a, on it. We did a whole episode on Dick Miller, actually. Yeah, yeah, isn't that? Yeah, Joe, Joe uh, almost teared up. We was talking about Dick at this last Egyptian theater thing uh, last month. You know, they were they were really close. You know, right. like like all interesting directors, they keep a kind of a their gang of actors around their repertory. Right. You know, their repertory company. Yeah. And, uh, so I always, I think that's sweet. I, I saw him, I worked on Small Soldiers. He was there, you know, one of Joe's pictures and he was in every one of the, like I'm looking at my, I have all my posters up in my studio here. I did a movie, Big Bad Mama with right. Angie Dickinson. And uh, Dick was a, a detective back in the, back in the roaring twenties. And, you know, and then I'm looking at another Cloris Leachman, Crazy Mama. I did that. I was a prop master on that. And that was Jonathan Demme directing that. And uh, right. Dick was in that was another g-man or something so he's in everything well i have you, one go ahead chad well no um so our the third bonehead who could not make it today um since oh. you mentioned it uh we uh he uh, he requested uh pleaded with us to get a big bad mama story from you so i didn't know if you had oh. any any fond memories of big bad mama oh yeah i i really i really had a great time i have a wonderful uh, one of the only autographed pictures i've ever gotten uh from anybody all the actors i've met over my life uh from angie dickinson uh she was uh just so sweet and uh just loved her i drove her home she was living with bert Bacharach. we were shooting down in paris <laughs> down here she was living there and then no one would drive her home so I, this is before police woman i think she was kind of in between yeah you know before right. He'd hit, he'd hit big again, you know, and, right. and actually, uh, actually, uh, uh, William Shatner's in it too, you know, right. Well, that's Garrett, a, William yeah, that's and William, our, William Shatner was between gigs too, you know, Star Trek yeah. didn't do too well, and, you know, it was a little dicey for him. So they were all doing these B movies for Roger Corman. Well, the third bonehead who's not here is a huge Trekkie. We all love Trek, but he's a huge Trekkie <laughs> and oddly enough, oh, sure. I, of all of us who have met Shatner, I'm the only one who doesn't have a bad story and had a wonderful time. So there you go. <laughs> I, I never, I 
never really had a, I was right by them too. Cause you know, I kind of really enjoyed being, doing props. I always, if once I was in the business, I kind of thought it's kind of fun when you're the prop master, cause you're right there by the actors, you know, uh-huh. everybody, you, you know, they talk, you chat you up, but it's like not when you're, you're kind of remote when you're an art director and you're, you know, off preparing the set for the next week or something. And you're never, never really get to know anybody, you know, like you do when you're right there lighting your cigarette and handing them a gun and yeah, all that kind of stuff. Uh, he was great. He, he was a little fussy, you know, and he was worried about his toupee and he was, <laughs> you know, worried about this and that, but you know, I, uh, you know, I, 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 I can't speak bad. The guy, I like him. I like that. Those shows he does when he, when he walks in his house, what's that show that he does where he uh, looks at weird things? He says, uh, can you believe it? Uh, oh, he did for about uh, three seasons. I don't know that I'm familiar with that one. Of I mean, there, uh, there's oh, cool. been so he, many he, shows with Shatner. You know, I know. He's, I think he's back going to do another thing, too, about uh, occult things or par- paranormal type things. Yeah, but right. He's so funny. I mean, I, I think my, my nephew's a cinematographer. He just shot a commercial with him, and he liked him. He was he was thrilled to meet William Shatner. Yeah. I, Who wouldn't be? He was in. He, have you ever seen his the stuff he did? I did the movie Airplane Two. Oh, we're going to ask you about. We're going to ask about it. It's highlighted, sir. In fact, that's my. I have. I, before we get to Airplane Two, I have to ask you a question about a movie you worked on called Dead and Buried. Oh yeah. Um, now yeah, I know Gary, it's Gary. Gary Sherman, but it's written by someone whom I never got to meet, but I'm fascinated by Dan O'Bannon. Ron Chassette. Yeah, and Ron Chassette. Dan O'Bannon, yeah. But I'm more fascinated with Dan O'Bannon than I am Ron. Does that make sense? That's weird. Well, not weird. You know, I never met Dan. Oh, you never met Dan? I never did. Uh, I knew Ron because he was hanging around that set for Dead and Buried. And uh, then I, of course, I got to know uh, uh, Shuset real well on Total Recall because yeah. we were, you know, down in Mexico for months and months and months and months and months. But uh, I really don't know Dan O'Bannon. Okay, uh, I'm just curious. Obviously, a super talented, yeah, super talented guy. I was, he was, you know, a, he was, he was very. Movie, yeah, he's a very that movie is scary. Right. It's actually no. It's a really good movie. Chad, have you ever seen Dead and Buried? You should really I, check I, it out. I've seen it a long time ago. Okay, yeah, yes. it's it's it, it, and it holds up well actually. After all, this it does. Time. It does hold. I saw it. Somebody had a uh, showed it to me uh, last year, and I hadn't seen it in years and years. And you know, it's Jack Albertson's last film too. Right. You know, he does a great role as that that crazy uh, crematory. Uh, what is he? The uh, when you well, you take care of the bodies and whatnot. Oh, but, Undertaker. Uh, yeah, Undertaker. I mean, that's, that's a creepy, we shot it up north in Mendocino, you know, where they shot the birds and, yeah. and then we shot big sets here at the Sam Goldwyn studios. I built a whole big crazy mortuary for him, but that's a creepy story. It, I remember being real creeped out on that show. It was, uh, <laughs> you know, Stan Winston did the effects, some of his uh-huh. first effects, were, you know, it's, it's, it was an interesting crew, you know, yeah. and it doesn't, that doesn't, people don't know about Dead and Buried. I'm surprised you guys know. Well, you're film guys. So you well, we're, know about we're, we're like such that. huge nerds physically and literally. I mean, you yeah. can follow me on Facebook <laughs> and Twitter to see that. I'm a big dude and I meet, and I've had the fortune of my, I, I call it a side gig. We all, all three of us work in higher education. We work for universities. So our side gigs are kind of this stuff here. So we've had, so uh-huh. let me move on to a movie that, 
no, it's not fantastic, and it is the un, and it's unfortunate because it's a sequel to a fantastic movie. But I think it is too much maligned because I think there's some great stuff in Airplane Two, the sequel. There is, you know. Now, you know, once again, I, another I knew, great performance uh, by Bill Shatner. Uh, he is so funny in that scene as the commander of that moon base. Oh, he's he's and, fucking uh, hilarious. He's <laughs> hilarious in that gag and. You know, I started, I prepped for three months on Air, Airplane One, you know, oh, really? over at Paramount. Yeah. Oh, with Howard Koch. I knew, I knew the Zuckers real well because John Davidson, their producer, was old friends from... Uh, from Corman. Uh, Roger Corman. Yeah, right. I mean, he, John was head of production for quite a while for Roger. And yeah. uh, so I worked on it. We did all the sets to test all the actors. Julie came in and, you know, we tested a lot of people. And then they put in turnaround, you know. Uh-huh. And they weren't going to do it. I think the budget was like eight hundred thousand or something, and Paramount got cold feet, or I don't know what the what the whole issue was. So I went and did another film uh, called The Serial uh-huh. from a best-selling uh, book by Sarah McFadden, yeah. which was great. We built all this, we filled up Paramount with all these great uh, sets. Uh-huh. So I missed it. All of a sudden, they greenlit it again. I couldn't do it. So then, when Koch was going to do Airplane Two, I jumped on it. I know the Zucker's hate that and have never seen it and you know abrams you know i did work again for jim abrams so on big business the bet uh-huh. miller uh little tomlin movie so i guess there was no hard feelings but i know that they're they did not like that whole thing but that movie is very very funny Agreed. i swear to god it got so much but it's a funny movie there's a lot of good gags in there i i the problem is is that it's a sequel to airplane if you yeah, were, nothing's funnier than airplane. You're right. Nothing is. I mean, no it's funnier movie really than airplane. No, I to me there's there's three or four great, and it's I mean it's probably I'm out of um, let's see I mean maybe let's I'm trying to think of Marx Brothers. My favorite one is um, it's not Duck Soup. Horse Feathers is my favorite. So everybody's got a favorite Marx uh, Brothers film. And then there's Blazing sure. Saddles for me, and then there's Airplane. And oh, I love it. Right. I mean, you just can't do sequels yeah. to those things because they are iconic. There's no, you just can't. I mean, so, but I yeah. feel airplane two has a lot of funny shit in it that no one ever sees or gives credit to. I know. Well, people are very loyal to airplane one. And once the word got out, I suppose that David and Jerry Zucker, uh, we're never going to see it. And we're very disappointed that Paramount was going ahead with one. And, you know, fan, the film fans are, extremely loyal as yeah. any, you know and right. if you sense that there's a you you know that's why they you know they they all the studios send out these trailers on social media and the moment there's a squawk from a, a film fan club they go back and re-edit they change the dialogue they change yeah. the look they change something because they don't want to mess with these big powerful groups of uh, fans out there which i think is as it should be you know right now I, I yeah I mean it, I guess it's worked sometimes but I'm always about I'd I'd rather see an interesting train wreck than a very vanilla movie. Well, yeah, if if something gets watered down to the point that it's yeah. pointless, yeah, absolutely, sure. We do see a lot of that. Yeah, no, I mean there's, there's all these horror stories of uh, I I I follow Cecil's uh, show Good Bad Flicks uh-huh. a lot. And I, I think he does the best show on YouTube about, you know, going behind the scenes and talking about films. He's a lover of bad Philippine 
uh, films made in Philippines. Right. Philippines had yeah. horror movies from the 80s and 90s. And yeah. actually, he's done, uh, I collaborated with him on a Hocus Pocus one and a uh, Nothing But Trouble, a movie I did for Dan Aykroyd. Well, it's on our and, list. Uh, We're, we got to talk about this one before this show's over with. Sir. Oh, yeah. We're not leaving until we talk about Nothing But Trouble. <laughs> okay. But he, but, you know, he also is very vocal about test screenings and how they've ruined movies that he's loved you know like two two people in some test screening in some podunk town changed the whole direct and he he's obviously doing his homework and talking to editors and directors and they've seen their movie just taken away from them and ripped apart because of some bad test cards with a bunch of yahoos that aren't even the uh, the audience perhaps you know for what that movie is supposed to be aiming at you know absolutely so So, true what you're saying uh, let's get let's talk about Paul Verhoeven for a second. We'll just go chronologically. I know, I don't know how much you have time, but I want to I want to hit oh, on I got one to, of the important. I ones. got to. okay. Sure. So Paul Verhoeven, I, out of all the filmmakers, I would love to meet that I've never met. He may be in the top at least two or three. Right. I, I just his excitement just to watch the behind the scenes of him directing. Yeah. Is, yeah, it had like to be it had to be crazy but yet contagious yeah it is now uh i'll tell you when he first came see, I, I got hired on robocop john davidson hired me on robocop before right. paul got hired and uh and rob Bottin was already hired and working on the such need such a lot of lead time to sort of develop this yes uh your robo you know suit mm-hmm. but you know john John was waiting for Paul. This, this is when I first saw. This is when I. This is why I, I'm not producer material, because I. John was telling me every day. Every day I'm going, John. You know every director in town. Just get one and let's shoot this. Because, to tell you the truth, I wasn't that impressed with the script. You know, right. I was already. I'm a. I'm a comic book fan from way back, and I had all my Robotech already. I had a lot of Robo stuff around me in my comic books wow and and i just thought john you know get jonathan kaplan to shoot it for you get hey, somebody you know everybody get somebody mm-hmm. he said no i'm waiting for this dutch director and i'd seen uh, soldier of orange yeah that's about it i i hadn't seen spetters or turkish delights but uh-huh. he showed me those movies in our screening room over at uh, i don't know where at carolco or where were we i'm not sure where we were uh robocop but, um, in mgm wasn't it no, it's MGM now, but Carolco made it. Okay. No, Carolco made Total Recall. Carolco, yeah. Who, who, who made, where MGM. were we? But you, you yeah, but I'm wondering if our, No, no, it's, I get my, you know, it's the only picture I've ever worked on where I got profit participation. Oh. I have a half a point Robocop. <laughs> Whoa. Hey, John, if you're going to make one, John, that's not a bad one to get profit participation on, right? Yeah. I just got a check from MGM a couple of days ago, a couple of thousand dollar check, you know? Yeah. And it's just like, it's just amazing, you know, to see it's a little picture that just made so much money. They just couldn't hide it, you know? So uh, everybody <laughs> made a lot of money. <laughs> and uh, RoboCop was Orion, by the way. Is it Orion? I'm so it's sorry. Orion. So we were, in, that's it. we're in the Orion offices and they're, they're near Carolco's or were near Carolco. Uh-huh. That's, that's why I'm getting that confused. But, um, anyway, he, I, I see the power of the producer. He waited for Paul and he, he wanted to not do the, the, the thing that I was say, t- saying to him to do, you know, let's just shoot this and get going here. 
he saw something different. And I just think John's, John's still a, a wonderful friend of mine. And I, I see him a couple of times a year still, you know, and uh, he waited for Paul and Paul came and, you know, we started, uh, you know, he, he naturally, you've, he, he, Paul's, Paul's fessed up what a terror he was and, you know, yeah. how tough he was to work around because he hated the American crews. He'd never worked this way in Europe, you know. Yeah. Uh, he did Rob Botin. He hated me, hated everybody, you know. And, uh, but he saw all the work we turned out, all the, all the crew I brought down to Texas and Pittsburgh and, you know, all the Texas crew that were terrific. Yeah. So a, fr a friend of ours, oh, Chad, do you want to go ahead? No, no, I was just going to say um, about working on RoboCop. So Joe could ask about, were you there when the guy got blown up by Ed 209? Were you there when, when the RoboCop took off his face mask? But I want to know, sir, were you there during the famous story from Miguel Ferrer and Kurtwood Smith about the bitches? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was there about? for that scene. I don't know. I, you know, I don't know the story, but it's funny because I dressed that set. I was right there with the decorator, you know, when he says, get out, bitches. But what is the story? I'm curious. Oh, it's story ahead, Joe. Joe, I don't know if I can do it justice enough, okay. but it, it, it's, uh, it's in the, it's in the, it's in um, one of the special editions of RoboCop. It's Miguel Ferrer and Kurtwood Smith. They're interviewing them uh -huh. separately and they're telling this story and they keep cutting back intervally into their story because they, they, they are so well synced about it's Paul Verhoeven and who else is who else is it, Joe? The cinematographer? Uh, would that have been Jan oh, Devon? Or yeah, Jan Bacana? Yo, no, Jan Yeah. Okay. Are, are the Yo bitches in place? No, the bitches are in place. The bitches should be here. Should the bitches be here? Should the bitches be over there? What should the bitches be? Yeah. And they just keep, yeah. they don't refer to them by name. They just keep calling them yeah. the bitches. No, 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 no. no. I, I I vaguely remember that that was the thing, you know. And I. <laughs> oh man! Oh my God! You, you know I. Uh, that robo first of all it was freaking humid in dallas and we were yep. building all these huge sets around dallas it, with the f studios there and we're building on the streets we we're building sets we were you know rob's rob got there late with his robo costume and peter couldn't get in it and right i yeah. mean you've probably heard so many of these stories but it was so hot and humid i mean we were blowing we were on the news every night we were blowing something up Every night we make the news because we were all over town shooting in Deep Ellum, you know, their old section in Dallas there, blowing up buildings, driving cars into things. And, you know, we blew up that gas station, you know, when, uh, you know, when Robo walks through the fire, right. that was a, there was a freeway right there. <laughs> and then we hadn't closed down the freeway. I mean, there was shrapnel. I'm talking about a shrapnel like the size of bumpers on a car wow. falling on the film where I was standing there and but near Yost. I mean, it was unreal what we were doing. And, uh, but it's, you know, like they say, it's all on the, it's, it's, it's all, all there the on the screen. Yeah. Well, a, a friend of the show, he's a makeup artist. I don't know if you know him. His name's Bart Mixon. Oh, I recognize the name. Was he a gun, one of the gun guys or was he an armor, armor or? No, he, was, he actually, I uh, think he put the suit on Peter. Did he not after a while, uh, Chad? Yeah, he put the suit. He put the suit on. He put the I, suit after. He was, so he was working for Rob. Is that who he yeah, was? Yeah, yeah. He was a Texas guy who got uh, yeah. connected with him and ended up working with Rob. Yeah, through an. I can't remember oh. who the other person is, Bill. I'm sorry about that. I, I should have went back and yeah. 
re, believe it or not, you probably don't watch a ton of your movies. I actually don't listen to a ton of these episodes after we do them. After I get <laughs> so, uh, I have no desire to listen to my voice. But anyway, what um, Bart Mixon talked about it as well, and he 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 has um, he had a lot of interesting stories about Peter Weller and the girls. And if you ever get a chance, I'll tell you what. I'll send you a link to that later on and if you get a chance to just maybe if you don't want to listen to the whole thing you can at least fast forward to the Marvel cop thing so maybe you well, can get you, a different perspective of it that summer go ahead you know uh, uh they uh there was a film crew that came not this year last year at the end of last year yeah not this last year before they're trying to do a uh, doing a documentary on robocop they're this british crew that did a great one on uh i forget some other horror movie they got us all they interviewed us all yeah, except for Rob. You know, Rob Rob's missing in action. He won't come anywhere and do anything. But they got Paul. Yeah, they got uh, Ed Newmark. They got me. They got the decorator. They got all the actors, and we're waiting for this. Now, the thing that happened, I I saw the the writer or the producer at Monster Palooza uh -huh. six months ago, and he was sitting there with the actor um, Ray Ray. Got a, yeah, the guy that played one of the bad guys, Ray. Oh, uh, Ray, uh, Ray Wise, Ray Wise. Yeah. Yeah. Who, by the way, doesn't look a day older than when I saw him. So he and I were <laughs> chatting and I realized that was this producer that I'd met like a year before. I said, where's our documentary on RoboCop? They shot, ended up shooting so much footage because they didn't, weren't just doing it on Robo. It was Robo 2, Robo 3, the Robo TV show, the Robo, right. oh, too yeah. much Robo. And he said, we got so bogged down. We have so much material. I'm going, damn, you should have just focused on just the first one or maybe the first and the second one. Right. He said, well, it's supposed to be out soon. So I'm sure, like Ray Wise was sitting there. We, were, we, we told 15 war stories right there while this producer grabbed his pad and started writing them down, you know, because yeah. there's, there's so many funny stories of all of us doing this almost like a $13 million movie or $11, $12 million movie, you know, in the middle of Dallas. Uh -huh. with this robot walking around it was pretty crazy so were you there the day the the robocop car showed up the the, the bad they, robocops <laughs> yeah what, which, they, which, because they switched which, from one car to the other because they john davis had built had a car built right that was kind of like the robo cruiser or what have you yeah the the, the producer okay. there was a producer on before i got hired okay arnie schmidt good guy arnie uh-huh. And uh, he'd already contracted out these futuristic cop cars uh -huh. to this flamboyant car designer on Hollywood Boulevard, Jay something or other. Yeah. Who had the world's longest limo with a hot tub in the back, and <laughs> helicopter landing on top. But he, so they said, go over and see how the how he how he is. Now they'd already spent one hundred and seventy thousand dollars on this guy, and. I mean, everybody thought they were all going to get fired. Like Orion, Orion was going to put the hammer down just because of that bad mistake. Because I went over, the guy didn't have a drill press. The guy didn't have any painting equipment. He was a complete phony. Uh -huh. Oh, wow. So I go back, I tell everybody this, and I've got some funny, actually some funny couple of pictures of Paul over with those cars in oh, shock. And we go, I would love to see that. We go, what are we, what are we going to do? And I said, well, you know, these cars cannot be saved. We can blow them up, which we did. We eventually put them on the street in Deep Elm, and those are the cars that get blown up. We went to, we went to Gene Winfield, 
that did, who is a fantastic real Hollywood car designer, and he did the SUX, uh-huh. you know, the Stux, and he did a beautiful car that we used, you know, that looked like it was a, a car. Well, it's still around. It's actually a lot of auto shows, you know, along with the yeah. Blade Runner cars and. But uh, that was catastrophic. So eventually we had to go down to Dallas. I, I found a flood-damaged Tauruses, which was, you know, it actually was the Motor Trend Car of the Year a couple of years running when I got them. And they'd been flood-damaged, all these Tauruses. Uh-huh. So I bought them cheap, and I, and I sprayed them uh, I sprayed it, sprayed them satin black. Oh, okay. And they were the only car actually we could find that could fit the robot in it. You know, if Peter got in there with half his costume on, he could, uh, you know, drive that car. It's very, in fact, I ended up buying one, I mean, a new one for my wife because it's such a cool car that those, uh, I love those cars. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, that, that was a big catastrophe. That was a way, right out of the blocks, that was a big waste of money. Yeah. You know. Okay. Too bad because that movie didn't have a lot of money to waste. <laughs> right. I'm sorry, Chad, you had a question? Okay, so moving right along, so you you must have got along well enough with Verhoeven to move on to to do Total Recall. Well, yeah, he saw that he saw that he when he I'll tell I'll tell you well he saw that everybody worked their ass off. He was just you know he's a European director, and he has a very much this auteur European way of doing things where he's the master of all uh-huh. all the land. Everybody else is just. Uh, there to please him and of course that's not the way Hollywood works you know there are really interesting artists that work to you know bring a director's vision there but you're you know these are bigger this is a bigger Robocop as little as it was was the biggest film Paul had ever done you know let let alone something way out of his normal comfort zone you know he had big terrible fights with Rob tried to change Rob's Robocop you know trying to sort of manipulate everything when he needed to focus just on directing the film right and he but he didn't know any of us he didn't know how to work in the united states and i think he saw i'll tell you one thing i walked out of the screening room at orion the first time we saw a rough cut of robocop and i was in shock i did not believe how good it was really i mean it was i was stunned i could not believe that this is this sort of comic book kind of lightweight film that I first approached it as. And then I saw what Paul did to this picture and I could not believe it. It was amazing. And I think Paul saw all the hard work that all of us did. We got to be good friends. He would come over. I had a ranch out in the Valley, my wife and I, he'd come over horseback riding and hang out. We got to be friends. And then one day he comes over and he says, do you want to go? I just had a baby. And just, do you want to go away and do a picture of, uh, on Mars? <laughs> I'm thinking like, oh, God, no, with Verhoeven away on Mars. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, of course, to work for Paul again, and, and it was had so much design work in it. You know, you'd have to be a – you wouldn't be able to call yourself a production designer if you didn't want to jump on something like this. So, yeah, yeah Paul – got me i got my decorator back rob botin signed back up uh griot came back from germany and we all went to it was like nine ten months of my life you know in that picture almost 11 months on that picture that was a lot of work paul and i really worked hard he's so funny in the trailer in the in some of the behind the scenes stuff he always talks about us <laughs> wrestling with these problems but we did the most amazing sets for him and you know he's 
he's something to work for. I'll tell you that. He asked me to do basic instinct later on and he asked me to do showgirls, but I was always involved in something else. So I couldn't really. You missed out on showgirls though. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God I was on something else. Well, do you find it disturbing that that, uh, so, you know, not bad, bad mouthing Paul Verhoeven, but do you find it disturbing that that showgirls has become the cult classic that it is? It is a cult. It is a cult classic. I understand that. Yeah. I, I was doing, uh, uh, see, I was doing, I started, I did, did four pictures for Wolfgang Peterson and I, yeah. I was doing over at Sony. I was build, doing Air Force One over there. Yeah. And uh, Paul was doing uh, Starship Troopers, you know, in the other part of the studio. And the decorator was the decorator I had on, mass, um, on uh, Total Recall was working for Paul on that one. And I had a different decorator on the, on the Air Force One. But every day I would see Paul walking up the studio cursing like going to lunch or going to oh going to dailies he would grab me i'd walk with him for like half a mile across the studio yelling at me i'm not even on the show right <laughs> yelling at me about how inept sony is and never <laughs> use sony special visual effects never do this and i'm thinking i'm nodding and doing whatever i can to you know walk <laughs> along and like, support him and I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, I'm so glad I'm going to walk over to our stage where Wolfgang Peterson is. <laughs> and, and Wolfgang's not going to be yelling and screaming like that. I have to say, that crossed my mind. Well, we had the production manager, right, Chad? Mm-hmm. Uh, for Showgirls and uh, Starship Troopers. And he told some fantastic stories on Paul. And, and actually, one of the – go ahead. No, go I'm, ahead. I was, I, anyway, one of the, one of the <laughs> best stories actually was a movie was about Crusade that he never even got to make. Wow! And uh, for Carlco, which is, uh, and and thank goodness they stopped him several different times. And even the production manager, I won't say his name, but I can. I mean, if you watch the show or listen uh-huh. to the show, you you can find out. But uh, he's uh-huh. he was he he even said that that yes, it was it was very good that they pulled the. At the last moment, they pulled the funding from from Verhoeven because the amount of horses just exponentially rose every week. It's like, well, we only need 100. Uh Well, now we're going to need 400. Well, Well, now we're going to need the whole army. Right. Well, you you know, this this is the thing that happened to Paul. And it's happened to other directors. I mean, I've I've walked by Walter Hill. I was sharing an office next to Walter Hill uh, about 10 years ago. And I'm talking to him all the time. And I'm like, God, you're Walter Hill. You can't get a job. He said, no, nobody will hire me. I mean, these directors, and it happened to Paul, he had about $400 million pictures pulled at the last right. minute yeah, because they, he could not get them going. And once that happened, he had to go back to, you know, Germany and make movies or go back to, uh, right. you know, uh, and it's tough. He was always trying to do it his way. And it just, it just didn't work out, you know? Right. So since you mentioned it, I do have to ask, how's, how is Walter Hill? Because, I mean, again, another iconic person in, in, our, in, our, in our spectrum of nerdiness. Yeah, I, I, uh, I don't know him that well, but just okay. sharing the office next to him, he was trying to get things going. Now, this is 10 years ago, yeah. 12 years ago. And I, it just, I just wanted to I just mentioned that to make the point that these icons to me and you yeah. It's hard to find work. They'd ever yeah. they'd rather pay less money for a younger director and surround him with a ton of notes and a ton of people 
right. and hope that he doesn't goof it up. And boy, when they goof it up, you see it, you, mm-hmm. you hear about it. You know, they pictures close down all the time because things got out of hand and whatnot where, but you know, that's the, that was the business model. It's, you know, hire some hot young director who's never really done anything, maybe one small film. And, but all of a sudden they're doing it. Well, you know, the hundred million dollar films we're talking about are now $200 million films. Right. So, boy, if one right. thing's wrong, it's, it's, it's catastrophe. Yeah. Right. So speaking of catastrophe, let's talk about Uh-oh. Chad. Do you want to ask him about it? Cause I, we, I know- we, we have to, so another one of these films that is an art lexicon and it's a cult classic, but nothing but trouble. I mean, it, yep. we honestly, we, love nothing but trouble i watch it at least once a year sometimes more <laughs> i don't watch Great. it once a year but no, I, I do say, I, I will say this I'm, I, I'm i'm 40 i just turned 42 and right around that uh, time my parents split up and we've talked about this on the show before i got there was about a two-year span there where little joe was dropped off 11 12 13 years old at the movies every weekend does that make sense mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. one big weekend, it was either King Ralph or Nothing But Trouble. And Little Joe had to see <laughs> Nothing But Trouble because of Dan Aykroyd, right? Dan yeah. Aykroyd and John well, Cuban, especially because of the Blues Brothers and Ghostbusters. Had to see Nothing But oh, Trouble. Yeah. So I saw it opening yeah. weekend. I was there for you all opening weekend, Little Joe and, by himself. And my story real quick, of, will you, uh, uh, Bill, yeah. about this is mine is completely different. So um, – there was a small, tiny little video rental store in, in Frankfort, Kentucky called Box Office Video. And, and every Friday, my dad would take us to rent four or five movies to keep us occupied throughout the weekend. Um, I remember those Fridays very well. Yes. And I would, I would just go through the aisles trying to find something that I'd never seen before. My brothers would always go to the low-budget action films. I was trying to find something. And I ran into this movie called Nothing But Trouble. And I looked at the, I looked at the cover and it was Chevy Chase, Dan Aykroyd and John Candy. How come I've never yeah. heard, I've never seen this movie. Right. I pulled it and out. And Demi Moore. And Demi, Demi Moore. Moore. Yeah. And, and, and uh, Digital Underground. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this was what's so weird to me. This was, this was at the time at the studio was a $50 million movie. Now that's a hundred today. Right? Yeah. yeah. And it just had, like they were always yelling at me, the studios. I think I wrote that the other day about something, Joe. You may have seen it on you my did. site. But you did. You come in about nothing but trouble quite a bit, and I always love them. I always love it. Well, it, it, it just somehow it just popped up a bunch of stuff. So I said, well, I'll, I'll better comment on it. But you know, they're treating it. See, they have big problems. They they were doing Bonfire of the Vanities, uh, Warner's in New yeah, York, man. and it was terrible. Terrible. This is my own personal opinion. I don't know if this is true. But they were having terrible, terrible problems on that film. It's, well, it's loaded with movie. problems. Yeah. It, well, it didn't turn out good, and it was problematic, and that was their big picture. We were the little picture at Warner's, and there was nothing else <laughs> shooting. So kind of the I Am Mordor was on New York, and it was uh-huh. a little bit off us because we filled that whole – we filled all the lots, all the stages with these crazy sets. Yeah. And then they, they, they keep yelling at me, oh, Bill, you're our B picture. You're not our big picture. Why are you spending all this money? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm like, you know, Demi Moore had just done Ghost. She was right. hot as a pistol. Uh, Chevy Chase was their big, uh, I think he got $5 million, $6 million at the time. He was the big star at Warner's. You got uh-huh. Dan Aykroyd, who everybody loved, and John Candy, who everybody loved. So I'm thinking, and I told them a number of times. In fact, Dan heard that once in an outer office, and that bonded us forever, man. I said, this is not a little picture to me. 
you know, <laughs> this is a big picture to me. And boy, does a director like to hear that from somebody <laughs> on the picture. You know? But yeah, I, I got hired. Somebody recommended me to Dan, and he hired me right away. He saw my crazy sculptures, and you know, we just had. A, I to me, he's the coolest guy I ever met. Uh, I would I would walk. And by the way, I'm speaking for the entire. I mean, we I would walk on my knees to work for Dan. Uh, a mile, you know, because uh, of course he'll never be given a chance to direct again. But but he's just so such a cool guy. He is so cool, and he has and such a so unique smart. vision too. Yeah, yeah, he's so funny and he's so cool and he's so nice. It's just and he everything I like. Like I ran into his daughter Daniela. She she has a place out in the desert right next to mine, a beautiful trailer that she hangs out sometimes. We talk about this. Says, my dad still talks about you, Bill, at the table. I still got all those squeeze toys in my garage. She says, Daniela, she's like 26 or something. <laughs> I go, Daniela, I used to hold you as a little baby, you know, when you're on the set. Says, oh, my God. But, I mean, he, Dan loves ghosts and paranormal stuff. Yeah. I do. He's a big UFO buff. I am. Oh, wow. I mean, it was just, it was a match made in heaven, you know, for Dan and I. And But it, when it came out, I, was, I think it it was like $500 per screen, like almost unheard of for a major motion picture to open with that low a screen uh, hall. And it disappeared right, right away. You know, yeah. now the crew all went to the screening, you know, we loved it. It's like a home movie to us because all our artwork is there. The whole thing is an art project, really. Yeah. There's some actors oh. running around, but it's an art project for the art department. <laughs> we loved it. You know. And honestly, that's what, that's what, a, so the performances, yes. But the sheer, the sets are fantastic. I mean, the court, the the courtroom, the the outside, oh, yeah. the 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 conveyor belt that Demi Moore and Chevy Chase go through. All of it is just stunningly yeah. roller beautiful. coasters, roller coasters through the house. We had My Michael Lantieri. I got Michael to do it. Was, you know, on loan from Steven Spielberg. You know, had done all Steven's movies. Lantieri was on that. We loved it. You know, somebody would pitch an idea, and he go, "I can do that." So I'd go buy a roller coaster and, and Michael would re-weld it. So it went through my set on, on location. So we say, well, I wanted to chew up with it. Okay. Mike would just, hire, you know, we never stopped. We had all the money and the people to do this amazing, weird thing, which is, I don't, I still to this day, except for the bonfire of, of vanities concept of mine, I do not know why the studio didn't put the brakes on us, but they didn't. And although they eventually renamed our, I mean, the movie was called Vulcanvania. Right. They, when they released it, they, they renamed it Nothing But Trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so, <clears throat> Dan hated that. <laughs> well, let me ask you a question. So how much, so very little, how much of that is in the script and how much was just made on the spot? You're talking about just making shit up as you went. So how little well, we of that a, is in the script? A lot of stuff. Most of it's in the script. Okay. Absolutely. Most of the stuff was written by Dan and his, uh, I don't know if he wrote it with his brother. brother? Bro I think he wrote it with his brother, yeah. Yeah, I think he did write a lot of it with his brother. There's another name floating around that I, I can't think of. But, yeah, all of that was in the script. But, you know, you could go up to him and say, you know, it'd be great if we did. Oh, okay, let's do that. You know, he was very open to, you know, suggestions, which, of course, is always a fun director to work for, you know, when you're an effects guy or an art department guy or you know, a prop guy, you know, he, uh, we, you know, we went, there's a big swap meet in Pasadena, very mm -hmm. famous at the Rose Bowl. Yeah. And Dan and I went there 
number of times shopping for uh, set dressing. You know, we'd check out, I'd check out $10,000, $20,000 sometimes from the studio. Uh-huh. And I'd walk, get this, get this for the most swap meeting fun you can ever have. <laughs> Dan would dress up so nobody, he thought, nobody would know him in his boots and his big butt and his army pants and his like a biker silk <laughs> scarf on and a Mountie hat. <laughs> and I would, I would put the swing gang, the crew on, on for a Sunday. You, you know, the studio loved that. And they'd be sit, standing out in the parking lot with a, with a five ton truck. And Dan and I would walk through the whole thing, picking out set dressing for the, the judges, his character's room. And then the moment I would pick a chair or Dan would pick something, somebody out of me, would, they wouldn't follow us because we didn't want to know, you know, if there was a bunch of people with us. They'd come and grab it and put, take it away. <laughs> it was so much fun hanging out with him. God, I just love it. Yeah. I went into the first, the first one, one last story, if you don't mind. No, no, no always they, they, Tell as many stories as you as want, many, sir. We, oh, okay. We're big fans. It, it, just, it just amuses me because I, we're all out on the Warner Ranch and we dug moats and I built this 90 foot house and there was stacks of cars and mufflers and junk as far as you can see and things were on fire and earthquakes and Lantieri had rigged everything. So it's the first day of shooting out there on this set. And uh, first day of shooting all over, we started there and then we, the stages were still being finished. So <laughs> all the trailers are out there. So I get the, I see a walkie, walkie talkie goes off on an assistant director near me and it's Dan. And I, and it goes, the guy walks up to me, assistant director, assistant, assistant, or whatever. And he says, they build a, Dan wants to see in his trailer right away. So I go, Oh God, now what, what can it be? The first day of shooting. Oh my God. Hope everything's cool. So I dock on his trailer, come in. So I go in the whole place. He's been smoking, right? The whole place is like weed. I, yeah. I'm getting a contact high going in there. And he says, uh, I said, what's up, Dan? Everything cool? We've got to, you know, we've got to start shooting, man. Everything's good. We're good to go, right? He's like, I just wanted to ask you something. He says, how do I look? This is what I'm going to wear. Does the director look like this? And I'm looking at him. He had biker boots, shorts on, army shorts, <laughs> biker boots, no laces, a disco shirt on, a silk disco shirt with a kind of some scarf around. And a Mounties hat on. And he says, How do I look? Says, you look great, man. Let's make this movie. He goes, I knew you'd like it. <laughs> we walked out of the trailer. Like, all the assistant directors are huddled around going, oh, my God, I hope there's no problem. Oh, my God, I hope there's no problem. And he, he comes out, and we started directing the picture. <laughs> I just thought that was so funny that he's like that. You know, I just love him. I just love the guy, to tell you the truth. I just love the guy. I yeah, just, he's, he's definitely over on the, the years, I, over the years. I've seen him over the years. Not very often, but once in a while, every two or three, four years, I see him in some social gathering. And I always call him the judge cracks up, you know, because he's always going to be the judge, you know. <laughs> right. So, but there, and I may be remembering this wrong, and it's been a couple of years since I've seen it, and you and Chad can argue with me. But I think there's a scene cut out of the theatrical that ended up in the video where he takes his nose off and uses it as a dick. No, no, I never saw. I never saw that in any any cut of it. Okay, he, so where he, he urinates where he urinates through his nose, out. No, towards, okay. Well, then somewhere in my mind, it has been built into my mind over thirty years. Man, I don't know. I, your 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 memory your scares me. Were, your, your parents were going through a separation. <laughs> You're under a lot of pressure. 
you're 13, you're under a lot of pressure. Well, probably. But that is a pretty. Yes, that's a pretty funny scene when Chevy looks over and. Yeah. <laughs> the nose is like that. Yeah, it's a circumcised dick. Okay, all right. That's sorry. the most disturbing uh, case of Mandela effect I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> well, okay, I was well, actually. When I posted, go ahead. I posted some scenes on my Facebook page the other day because somebody was asking about nothing but trouble. So I posted a, some stuff. Uh -huh. And I was looking at that scene and I was thinking, man, that's even weirder than I remember. <laughs> it was a really. You know, and, and, you know, Chevy Chase was just a, a real pill. He never got the script. He he was fighting Dan the whole time. And you can tell it. He's so uninterested in the movie. Yeah. You know, he's kind yes. of sleepwalking through it, not doing his $6 million Chevy Chase thing, you know. I was he, going he to... actually, he had Go a big ahead. fight with Dan that, you know, one day, something that just you never can happen, he was mad about something dialogue or something and right in the middle of the crew chevy starts yelling at dan and screaming stuff like you're only making two million i'm making six million you know really stupid Jeez. bullshit stuff and right in front of the crew and like we're all looking at each other and you know we'd already all hated chevy we all hate chevy i hate that guy yeah. And uh, you know, the, the uh, you know one of the effects guys looked at me because we loved Dan and would do anything for Dan, and he looked at me and said, you know, if he ever yells at Dan again, I'm gonna drop a brick on his head. And the way he said it was like, ooh, okay, <laughs> you know, because people did not appreciate. First of all, it's so unprofessional, you know, mm -hmm. to have to you don't do that. You you and your director and Dan just took it. He said, well come on, we'll, we'll probably work this out and we'll just, let's go, you know, he's such a, you know, he was a good guy, you know, he handled it as best he could, but, you know, I, I lost a lot of respect for Chevy on that, man, I'll tell you. There's a lot of stories about Chevy being like that, and it's... Yeah, I, I, it's not the only story you've probably heard like that. No, he threw, actually on the set of Vacation, he threw, he threw a suitcase at Harold Ramis, who was directing at the time. Well, from, from behind the, Harold was behind the camera he threw the suitcase at him well we'll look look at the you know Saturday Night Live he left yeah. like after the first year yeah he yeah. immediately left he jumped ship oh I'm Chevy Chase I'm gonna you know and he left everybody and at the time I remember thinking hey dude you know aren't you part of this deal but no he he wanted out he wanted to you know and, and he made a lot of money and I don't begrudge anybody making a lot of money he's made some really good movies too Mm -hmm. But I, I just really resented, uh, you know, seeing that, having to see that, you know. Right. Well, you would have think you'd be more respectful for him simply because I, I and I actually was going to ask about this and decided not to because you said you didn't want to go negative. I was going to ask about Chevy because you would have thought yeah. he'd been, they, they did Spies Like Us. They'd known each other. They'd been on Saturday Night Live yeah. together. That makes no sense. I don't know. They probably ended up friends after this. And. Maybe that's just the way things are. But I've been on a lot of movie sets and I've seen a lot of tempers explode. And this was a really petty kind of way to handle something like that. Yeah. You know, even at the, in the best of films, there's going to be explosions. And, right. you know, this seemed like, uh, well, anyway, that's the, that's the, yeah. I remember that day very well. And there's a lot of people on that show that remember that well, because we, we didn't want to see that or hear that and we didn't need yeah. to hear that and we, you know, that's 
anyway, well, that's now, my Chevy story. That's okay. So, well, I got to ask uh, really quick, and I know it's not a genre film, but you did work with Jim Abrams, who was part of Zaz, and you got to work with yeah. Edler and Lily Tomlin. I mean, two of the funniest oh, that was, ladies of all time. That was really a great picture. I do, Have you guys seen Big Business? Yeah, I saw it. Oh, of yeah. course, sir. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I mean, that was... Uh, that was really a fun. I love Jim. Jim is the nicest, sweetest guy. And I love Beth. And of course, uh, you know, Lily Tomlin is so sweet. She, you know, I was at her show. She was doing her one woman show at the time. Uh-huh. And um, it was something of the universe or I forget what it was sure. named, but yeah, I spent a lot of time standing next to Lily because she was so worried about her performance and she'd come back and she'd say, how would you think? And I said, oh, you were great, Lily. And I don't, for some reason, I, I'm the only guy that has nothing to do, you know, once it's done, once right. that's done. So I was around talking to her and fussing with her, my ex-prop master. So I was fussing with her uh-huh. keys and things and stuff she had. A, I, I haven't, you know, I haven't seen that movie in 20 years. I'd love to watch that movie again sometime. You know, that was the first, uh, Dean Cundy shot it. Uh, that was the first um, remote uh, computer-driven uh, camera work that we did. Oh, because you know, of yeah, yeah. Well, the special effects, you know, I built a very tricky set there where walls were sliding as the camera was moving and we were closing them up because we were looking into mirrors. So our walls had to be open to shoot it, but closed as we got the reflection. So we really worked out a pretty cool, I built a beautiful model of that. Dean and I worked out a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool uh, set for that. I, I, and we built a huge plaza hotel at Disney it was kind of a funny time at Disney when we were there. It was just in the transition when mm-hmm. uh, Eisner hadn't moved over there and Katzenberg. None of those guys had moved over from Paramount yet. And it was almost going to collapse. Disney was almost going to be sold off for parts. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, people still walked around with little little brown shirts, little name tags from the department saying, hi, I'm Fred and mm-hmm. all that stuff. And we were the only feature film there shooting uh on their big stage, you know, we built a beautiful, they took the Plaza Hotel I built and they took it down to Florida for a long time. It was a, you know, kind of an attraction down there at, oh, at Disney, you know, how you- Was it was it on the behind the scenes lot, the, the behind the scenes lot yeah. tour you could do at, uh, it used to be called yeah. MGM and now it's Hollywood Studios, right? Yeah, I, I guess that's where it ended up. I never saw it, but people told me, oh, I saw your Plaza Hotel set and they have your your name on the on the blueprints and everything's up and I oh. thought, well, Oh, they, well, Tom, Tom Cruise came in and shot Cocktail, his movie, right after that. They used uh-huh. the hotel set, and then they, then they it was just too beautiful and expensive to tear down. And, uh, yeah, then we shot in the real Plaza Hotel. We had, all, we all had suites there. It was so nice. I had a lot of fun in New York shooting that movie. I bet. <laughs> so how did, how did you end up working with Wolfgang's Peterson so often? Uh, he... he uh, his regular production designer that he used, well, he never really had a regular one, but uh-huh. he had a, a, a woman that a production designer worked for him on In the Line of Fire. Yeah. And uh, she was busy and he was getting ready to do uh, Outbreak. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, uh, yeah. And um, producing. And uh, they invited me over. Somebody recommended me, or maybe my agent. I was with David Gersh, was my agent, still is my agent. Yeah, and um, some I walked in and he was really leery uh, of 
giving me the job. He, you know, he interviewed me just like directors do, feeling me out about the script and whatnot. Because he said, you've done all these fantasy things, Bill. You like Hocus Pocus and Flintstones and right. Total Recall and RoboCop. Can you do reality? And, uh, you know, and I, like Outbreak, and I said, you know, really, Wolfgang, I feel reality is going to be easier on me. It's hard dreaming up these futuristic <laughs> sets and, you know, bringing, a, bringing a, a full-scale live-action cartoon to life and making oh. sets like in Flint. Right. And I think that this would be great. So I, anyway, I got the job. So once we got that job, I was his guy for four pictures. We did uh, Perfect Storm together and uh, Airplane or uh, Air Force One and uh, Poseidon, Poseidon together. So yeah, four pictures. Which yeah, I love that... Wolfgang. He, Go ahead. He's the coolest. Wolfgang's, Wolfgang is, he is so great to work for. Oh my God. And he attracts like the top cinematographers. I worked twice with Michael Bauhaus uh-huh. and twice with John Steele, you know, who are at the top of their game, you know, and it, it's, it's just an amazing group of people he puts together on his films. What was your favorite experience out of those four? I think Perfect Storm was was fun, you know, from Sebastian Younger's book. Yeah. Uh, Wolfgang loves to see, and we built all these big sets in Gloucester where the where the story takes place, and big sets for him on you know big boats on gimbals on the big Warner stage. I dug yeah. a whole cost a million dollars. I dug the ta- a big tank in there and all these big gimbals and uh, big boats rocking and rolling and George Clooney flinging off things. And, <laughs> you know, when Wolfgang does those, we close off the whole studio and rename it Wolfgang Peterson Boulevard because we need all their big stages for all because Wolfgang's great because he loves, he loves sets. He loves the real filmmaking. You know, he doesn't really want to go just shoot a, a mountain, you know, yeah. and then uh, comp something in in front of it or shoot in front of a green screen although we have plenty of green screen he loves the the the, the traditional big scale movie making when here's my set you know and he walks onto it and it's all lit and it's all ready and the wind machines are there and the rain machines are there and the you know he likes that whole yeah. stuff and of course that's talking any art department's language we love that stuff yeah, because know, I, of- I have no interest in I want to make things. I don't want to go to a bar. I want to make the bar. Right. I want to make it just the way I want it, you know? So yeah. he's a great guy to work for. Yeah. And that's one of the, um, you mentioned that because that's one of the things I want to talk about because when it came out at the time, Air Force One was huge. And that was one of the things that they talked about more than anything about that movie was, was Air Force One itself and how great that set was and how much detail went into it, it even the escape pod. Yeah. Yeah, well, we, you know, it was interesting designing that, you know, uh, uh, that's a proprietary information, you know, how that plane is really laid out. Uh, mm-hmm. But there are ex-Secret Service agents that work as uh, tech advisors that have been on the plane that can tell us a little bit about it. And I called uh, Boeing and my assistants did, and we talked to the people that built built that 747 Air Force One, and some of them did say there was really an escape hatch and a pod-like thing in the back for safety, right. mm-hmm. and uh, which was, you know, important to our story. But, you know, I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, one, one afternoon, um, uh, he, uh, Wolfgang goes, uh, don't do anything this weekend. Uh, I said, okay, well, what's up? And he says, well, we're going to take the corporate jet, the Sony jet. We're going to fly to, I think it was Montana, and we're going to get on Air Force One. 
so we could finally see it. Now, this is, I was far into designing it, you know, the whole, it was a 200 foot set, <laughs> all on 200 foot gimbal, and then all the interiors, and I built helicopters, and C-130s, and there, I had sets everywhere at Sony, every stage was filled with these big sets, and um, I said, okay, I'd love to, so sure enough, we go down to Santa Monica, get on the corporate jet, boom, we land there, and it turned out Bill Clinton was there with Air Force One, and he was hanging out uh, at Harrison Ford's ranch. I guess Harrison <laughs> has a ranch out there. Yes. So they, they can't get Air Force One onto Harrison's thing. So they take uh, Marine One, which is the big helicopter, you know, mm -hmm. and they fly to Harrison's ranch. And so we wait for, we wait. So we get off and like, uh, here comes, so we're waiting for Harrison. He wanted to see the plane too. So sure enough, here comes Harrison flying his own plane, you know. He rolls up right next to Air Force One with all these Marines around and you know, wow. and the way Air Force One works, there's a branch of each service there, and they're all heavily armed. And like it was Wolfgang, uh, Michael Bellhouse, and me. Mm -hmm. And uh, here comes Harrison, and uh, we get on the plane. You know, I, Wolfgang's like, bring your camera. I said, Wolfgang, they don't allow any cameras. Bring it in a little while. I said, Wolfgang, this is like real life. This isn't movie life. <laughs> so uh, they allowed me to take a pad. I could take a pad and a pencil. So we, we they, uh, wonderful captain of, of this one showed us all around the plane and where the press sits and where security is and sure enough here come, we hear this shouting and yelling and here comes bill clinton and he gets up and he i'd met him before uh, down in uh, la you know uh, around his air force plane he says you're making my making my plane look good right bill i go yeah i'm making your plane look good <laughs> sir and he's like yeah you know he and harrison they must have had a few beers because they're like hey they're like you know whatever they were doing hanging out at the ranch so it was quite a quite a scene so we look around air force one leave harrison there with the president we get on the plane and boom we're back at santa monica for dinner you know and like i had these girls living with me and i i fired up the barbecue you know i got back to my house in burbank and i'm like they're like where were you what happened i said i could not explain it to you in a million years <laughs> <laughs> i just want to eat and just, I could never tell you what just happened. It's too weird. <laughs> I just can't so imagine. Was, I can't imagine Harrison Ford drunk and being very bolsterous because he's, you know, very, he's very, yeah, a, he's can, a stoic it, individual. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? Yes, oh, man, it you is. See him when, he, when he's like riding around on his golf cart around Sony, bashing into me, bashing into people. He, <laughs> is, he, is, he is the coolest guy. I mean, he, he called me in a number of times in his trailer with, uh, you know, he had the prints out. And, uh, you know, he wanted, he wanted to ask me if I could change something because he's a carpenter, you know, he sees yes. right away. If he has, he said, Bill, can you make this bigger? I got to jump through it later. And I said, sure. You know, and I, you know, my construction crew would say, Oh my God, we got to rip. I said, Hey, it's Harrison Ford. He's the star of the movie. And he's, a, he's got a producer's credit. Yeah. I said, let's rip the back of that thing out and do what Harrison wants. Cause he, he's pretty, he's really, he's a really nice guy. He really knows what he's doing he, he can read a print better than anybody you know he uh -huh. it's funny he caught things he was looking I, I thought that was so interesting you know that he had found something that he realized was going to be awkward for him to shoot the film later and he solved the puzzle before it became a big issue for me so he did me a favor actually by saying wow. i can't get through that through that stunt yeah i was i always thought that was pretty cool that's a level of dedication and knowing one's craft yeah no he's a real he 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 and Wolfgang. Well, Wolfgang gets along with everybody. He just loved working with Wolfgang too. You know, I I love and I love watching Wolfgang work too. Uh, you know, he 
one day Wolfgang doesn't like when I follow him around because sometimes I have to follow him around. I need a, yeah. need him to look at a print or I need him to tell him what I'm doing, you know? And one right. day, you know, he's talking to, he's talking to John Steele and he, Wolfgang senses I'm hovering cause I'm always hovering behind directors my whole life. And, uh, he says, what is it, Bill? I go, well, I just want to ask you about this. He said, uh, is that the set that I said, yeah, I just want to make sure he said, do you like it? I said, uh, I said, well, yeah, I love it. And I said, he said, well, then build it. I said, well, Wolfgang, it doesn't really work that way. I want to make sure that you like it. And he said, Bill, you know, you're the production designer. John Seal is the cinematographer and I'm the director. So if you like that set, go build it. So I said, okay, Wolfgang. But, you know, you can only do that with these big directors, you know, because right. if, you, if, you, if you screw up, the studio is going to say, what do you mean you just built a million dollar corridor that nobody's shooting, Bill? <laughs> <You know? Right. laughs> and then you don't get asked back to the dance, you know? Right. Well, but, I, you know, when you're for somebody you know, you can, you can work that way, you know? Yeah. Somebody you trust, someone you've built a relationship yeah. with on yeah. many, many movies. And these yeah. are not well, small they, budget films either. These are huge, no, huge movies. You know, yeah, plus you're, you know, you're the, you know, these, these $100 million pictures, you know, they're like $350,000 a day shooting schedules. You know, if you go a day over, that's $350,000. You go two days, that's, you know, it gets up to a million yeah. real quick if you're two or three days behind. And that's a lot of, then, it, then that's a lot of money. You know? right. That's why they spend a lot of money having me build these sets. Because you think, well, why did they let Bill build, you know, a $500 million or $500,000 set? And they said, well, because if it saves us a day, he just saved us money by not having to move all the equipment off right. the lot there and set up a base camp and then move it all. But, you know, there's a lot of reasons they good, good production managers and good producers and studios understand we let's build it and make it simple. It's all lit. We walk in, shoot it. and It's quicker, easier, you know, so. I'm, and I'm certainly a fan of that because, you know, the crew I work with, we're a real wrecking crew. We wanted a lot of work. We never wanted to be bored and we never were bored right. on shows I worked on. I picked shows that weren't necessarily the best movie that was offered to me. Yeah. I, I get offered like five for every one I took. I picked the ones that had the most sets because <laughs> I wanted <laughs> to design stuff. I didn't want to go out and do, do a, or film a river or something. I wanted to make the river. Yeah. So is that the reason why you worked on so many big films? Because I was, I was yeah. kind of interested in, and I, and it makes sense. You're a production designer. You want to design a production. I mean, it's there in the title, but is that because that's what it is? I mean, some of these movies, you did work on some smaller films, but a lot of them is specifically through the nineties. I mean, it's $100 million plus film after another. I can't imagine the amount of work yeah. for the Flintstones. Well, and once you, Oh, that was, that was everything in there was built, designed, sculpted, painted, hard coded. You know, nothing was off the rack in that movie. But you, you know, I, I yeah, it is. I, I want, I wanted to work at the studios. I didn't want to just wander around town and stand there drinking coffee. You know, by the camera. I wanted stuff to do, and I think it paid off. You know, with my resume is yeah uh now you have to go out sometimes or people say oh he just he's a lot rat he just wants to stay around the lot you got to go out sometimes but all of these movies that i worked on wolfgang yeah we built the sets at warner's but i shot a lot and built a lot in gloucester outside uh -huh. of boston for perfect storm outbreak we shot a lot up in ferndale we shot a lot up in in hawaii but we were based at warner brothers you know so i wanted to be based somewhere so 
you know, it's a proper movie. It's not just a road show, which I never like to, uh, you know, get hired on movies like that. Right. You know, and, and, you know, because I generated so much work, all the best illustrators would wait for me, set designers. I had a, the hottest construction crew and painters and construction coordinators because they knew if I if I got a show, I wasn't going to run off to Canada and do it. No. I was. They, they knew, okay, Bill's going to keep us in town near our families. And we're going to have a lot of work to do and we're going to be able to hire a lot of guys. Yeah. And you know, the flip side of that is, you know, when a studio looks to hire me, they know the baggage that comes with me because there's not just me. I'm a, I'm a, I'm the head of the corporation. Right. I'm, I'm going to want the best decorator I can get. Who's going to want the best lead man he can get. And I'm, I'm going to hire a coordinator, the best I can get, that I work with who they know right away is going to hire the best painter, the best foreman. It's a ripple. Of, I'm a ripple effect you know but on the other hand we complete these big hard shows on schedule and and on budget so uh, that's that's a big plus too you know oh yeah bill's not cheap but uh, you know we get our picture done and that there's no problems we know we get a professional crew if we put him on so you know that that worked i think it worked out well for me i turned out a lot of movies that were won more awards maybe but i also got to build more sets than anybody in town so uh, that's the way I wanted to work it, you know, yeah. for my career. Right. Bill, let me ask you a question. I'm going to, I kind of want to deviate real quick, if that's okay, from, from your, from your history and film, because we still want to hear a bunch of stories, but I'm kind of curious about your opinion on this, where your history is all about building sets, some amazing authentic sets that are right. truly stunning. And you look at today's movie making and that's almost gone like a lot of stuff is green screened and you know, like, yeah. like for example, on the Flintstones, you built those cars and now you see like people riding on a, a, a moped covered in green, a green cloth and they computer generate the, the vehicle on that. Yeah. I mean, how do you feel yeah. about that now? Now that we're kind of deviating well, to that. I, I, I got out of the business about six, seven years ago. And I, I think I got out at the right time. I, I got to see, the tail end of the real glory time from the fifties and sixties in the film business when I started in the early seventies. And I think I got out before all the screen screen. I, I can tell you that I know the directors I've worked for and actors, they don't want to fake running in front of a green screen. They would rather run down a real hallway right. and jump through a real window into a real, whatever, you know, I know that I've had this conversation for years with the, uh, Oh, studios that are always asking me, why am I building this? And why am I doing that? And I'm like, I can never quantify it. But I, I said, look, if I build this whole environment for your actor, I think you're going to get a better performance. I said, when you're, we're not standing there against a green screen. If I build all four walls and I build a little hallway off of it and a door and I, I fire up the, the stove so the place smells like, I'm a big fan of smell vision So I drag seaweed into sets so it smells oh, really? like the ocean. And I, Oh yeah, I'll get the effects guys to rig the stove so tell all the grips to, you know, cook hamburgers in the in the set at lunchtime, you know, to get rid of all the paint smell. You know, like directors they'll walk into it and never it always cracks me up. They'll walk into a set and they'll go, you know, this just feels right. This is really what I'm thinking. Yeah, because we've been drinking beer and beer and eating hamburgers in this <laughs> diner for two weeks yeah it's like it should yeah i tell people start carving things throw <laughs> shit down on the floor you know but uh you know and, and the studios always go well 
they're actors. They'll do what I want. And so I could never quantify the performance, but I think you get a better performance when you're not rolling around on a green screen and it's supposed to be a, a whatever you're supposed to be rolling around in. Right. And so I yeah. think I got a, somebody invited me down, a friend who was a supervising art director on uh, uh, Suicide Squad, invited me down to Atlanta. I'd never seen some of their stages down there. And he wanted to show me a stage. I happened to be down there to visit somebody. And I went in, they had this big set. Well, no, it wasn't a big, it was a big stage. It's a little set the size of my studio that I'm sitting in right now. And then a huge green screen around it. Yeah, I'm like looking at my friend. I said, "You really like this? You like working like this?" He's like, "Well, you know, you know he's got a family. He's got kids in college. He's, got, you know." And I'm like, "God, I would just hate this. Would be so boring to me to do that." I would be I expecting just, somebody to go into a weather report, honestly. Yeah, really, it is like the weatherman in front of a thing. Yeah, I. So, if that answers your question, I, I'm glad I'm not involved too much in that. I mean, it does. Every Thank show you. Show had we have a green screen but it's 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 extending my set right or helping it in some place that i can't do it's not the the whole set you know plus i had this i had drinks one night on uh i think we we're stuck in boston john seal and i and he, i saw him we got back from a scout and he said hey bill let's have a drink so we were drinking for a long time in the bar there at the hotel in uh in boston and uh we were talking about the same thing you just asked me about green screen and he, he wasn't a big fan of it. Wolfgang was, he, you know, cause he saw it opened up lots of possibilities for him, but yeah. far, you know, seal was telling me, he said, you know, I've, I've already seen pictures I've worked on where somebody back in post-production has changed my key light and changed the whole lighting and, and, and redone it in post. And, eventually we had Wolfgang was, we're all having beers one night. Wolfgang said, I would never let that happen, John. I want the green sky. I'd always contact you. And, and this the, one of the greatest cinematographers around John Steele says, yeah, but I won't be available to weigh in on this uh, Wolfgang. I'll be on some mountaintop shooting something else somewhere. I won't be able to fly to the studio and time it right and look at it right and check it, you know? So he wants to, when he lights a set, and any cinematographer will tell you this, I'm sure. When he puts a, a key light in and he lights the window the way he wants it, he gets the light he get wants. He's not going to see some kid in post-production up in, up in San Francisco draw it all in later, you know? Right. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, that, that's how a cinematographer feels, at least the ones that I used to work with, the big, the big guys I used to work with. And, um, you know, so that's my feelings on that. Awesome. Thank you, sir. I really appreciate it. Yeah. It's just because, you know, I, I look at films like RoboCop, you know, the whole, the whole, the whole ending sequence, well, not the ending sequence, but you know, where they're in the, the warehouse district. If yeah. that was all, if that was all green screened, I honestly think something would be taken away from it. It's being in that environment yeah. that pulls you into it, that pulls you yeah. into the, yeah. the, the darkness of the scene and exactly. And you know, on a, on a lighter side, the Flintstones, I couldn't imagine watching the Flintstones green screened. Um, the, the sets are too beautiful. Yeah. The, 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 the working animatronics, everything is amazing. I couldn't imagine any of that being computer generated at all. Um, isn't, it, isn't it amazing? I mean, that whole town of Bedrock was built in this whole quarry. And then the whole uh, suburban part of Bedrock, all those homes were built in this real famous area of our, our desert here in Southern California, Vasquez Rocks. Uh -huh. For many, many film, many films have been shot there. 
But, I mean, they were all full-scale, these cars. We used to drive them around Universal. We'd drive these cars around. Yeah. Again, Lantieri made those and his group, effects guys. I mean, it was wild. All this furniture that you could really sit on that was carved as rocks. And, and then all those hints and puppets popping out of things. And uh, I think it's really effective. I mean, that's a really beautiful movie. Rose, Rosemary Brandenburg uh, uh, did that, decorated that with me and you know she just finished the new star wars you know so she's she's been doing a lot of great films over the last few years um, but that was a lot of work department they would never make that movie that way today i mean it would be like oh. the new grinch it would be cgi the whole movie would be cgi yeah yeah yep. Yep. so yeah. it would just I mean, it'd, be, it'd... it'd be an electronic cartoon based on an old cartoon right I, I think people, I'm a, like, plus, you know, I mean, I don't know if you even want to get into this, but I'm a, I'm a big Marvel fan. And, yeah. you know, it's so overused on those pictures. You know, I mean, yes, I love them. I watch them all. I'm a big mm -hmm. fan of those movies. And, but, you know, after a while, after 100,000 buildings collapse and, you know, you just like, hey, man, it's being used too much. You know, yeah. it just gets to be. You know, and then you sometimes you watch a, a beautiful movie that has a minimal amount of effects in it, and you go, "Oh, thank God, I can I can watch something for a while." And it's a, it's, 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 yeah, you know how it is. It's just it gets to be too much sometimes. Well, I, I be to be quite honest with you, and and you've done some great films, and this isn't no slight on you. I'm actually a slightly superheroed out. The other two boneheads are more. Yeah comic knowledgeable than i am uh, but i'm i'm a, <laughs> i mean there's just so much you can do with a character that you yeah. know yeah. may not come yeah. back yeah. in this iteration but will come back because the box office is for that and you know hollywood what do we do we do four films now right we do superhero films animated films a, a small oh. horror films and what's the fourth one maybe a family film or something that's about it yeah, what yeah well you know the film the film films that I've I'm in the Academy of course and in the, in the in British Academy and I I think uh, somebody just brought it up the other day I, I voted uh, well I voted for Logan as one of my favorite films mm -hmm. last year and that had minimal effects that we're we're just crabbing right. about right now a totally non Marvel Marvel movie yeah and uh, I think Florida Florida Project was one of my favorite films Helen 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 Water was favorite film. Yeah. Helen Highwater, I think, is one of the best films I've ever seen made. And and Florida Project, I love it. And they don't have very many effects in them, that's for sure. You know? No. I, I, good I, stories. I, Just good stories. Yes, and that is actually one of... Uh, uh, anyway, I could go off about Helen Highwater for the next 10 minutes, but I won't. Yes. Because you didn't work on it. Yeah. I've got to ask you about... I don't know that I want to say something's your best film, but i got to say Master Commander is a excellent excellent picture yeah that that well you know we won a lot of awards for that yeah uh, you did. i won that i won the bafta for that myself and my decorator and yeah. we got nominated for an academy here but we won a lot a lot of uh cinematography we won uh costuming and yeah well that you know that's working for peter weir you know this was his kind of his dream project for mm -hmm. years you know to do something like this and and he is really smart and he's really uh, uh uh you know he really thinks about the films he does so you have to really be on your toes when you're around peter and right he 
he knows i mean i used to i don't know i used, i knew every bit of the rigging on that ship every bit of you know dialogue about how a, how a, uh, an 18th century fighting frigate works yeah i mean on that ship we made the sails we made you know made our cannons we made the cannonballs we made the lamps we made you know we made everything on that yeah and uh you know that was really uh really quite the quite an enterprise i mean i had you know uh not tech advisors but uh, historians coming into my office down at rosarita beach down at that fox studios where we were based and they'd see things on my desk and they go oh my god where did you find this you know and i said well i got a whole warehouse full of them they just almost die you know because we were hand hammering the metal we were melting cow's horn to make you know yeah. glass type you know it was just on and on and wow. we we're braiding our own ropes we were building our own blocks out of oak we were carving our own ships heads we built our own mass uh, you know we had miles and miles of rope we wove we had shipwrights from uh, boston come out shipwrights from australia tearing out the whole fronts of real ships that we bought and redoing the stern and the bow and i'm building a whole complete 180 foot ship on a huge gimbal in that huge tank there in rosarito mm-hmm. yeah and uh you know, that was, that's really big time filmmaking to do things like that, except for maybe perfect storm. That was, that was a lot of work on that master and commander. Whew. I, yeah, I can't imagine. I know uh, uh, Mel Gibson says that Peter Weir is one of the few geniuses he's actually ever met in his life. Yeah. Uh-huh. I don't yeah, know. He's, it's just a Mel Gibson quote yeah, in my head. I know not everybody likes yeah. Mel Gibson. Oh, he's, you know, he's, he's a really, he's a really great writer too. You know, Peter's, yeah. Peter's a real interesting guy. You know, there's a lot of things going on in his head. He's real kind of quiet, uh-huh. but it's really, uh, it's a quiet reserve. You know, he watches everything. And uh, when you, when he comes to a meeting, you have to have your ducks in order, you know, and I, I was, I run with a pretty high level group of people. There are directors, set designers, illustrators. So, uh, I brought a lot of good people to him because uh, Fox Fox knew me from another, I think Fox knew me from Dr. Doolittle and another couple of pictures I did there. And Duncan Henderson was the producer on the picture and I'd done four or five pictures for Duncan. So uh, they, they brought me into the project and I had a long interview with Peter. So he, you know, he was looking for somebody, but he, you know, he's looking for a team, you know, he's no dummy. He didn't want somebody that had, hadn't been around building these big sets because he knew it was a lot of work to get done and it had to be done on a schedule there or we were cooked. Yeah. So, um, you know, he, he, he got his movie done. So, Uh, well, we just, I know you're probably getting a little tired, but would Chad has, Chad has got to ask at least about one person and I'm sure you've been asked several times. Go ahead, Chad. Oh, I don't think we should close on this. I think we should no, close no, on, on one of, wanted, we, we need to close on one of his more iconic films, but um, I want to talk about Steven Seagal. Do you have a good Steven Seagal story? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, do I? Oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. We, I did glimmer man with him and right. he, uh, he, he is, I love the way, I love the way he fights. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm a big fan, you know, from Men of the Dragons. All I love these these movies, you know. And uh, he, oh God, you know, 
so many stories. He's such a character, you know, he's so full of himself, you know, he, right. he's got this whole backstory. He always thinks he's a ex CIA agent and he's always a, you know, he, he's, he's become what he always fantasized with. He's got yeah. this deep cover. But, uh, you know, one thing Warner's did is uh, Warner's builds a lot of sets for him because they want to keep him on schedule. They want to keep him at the studio because they don't want him just sort of wandering around, you know, showing up late because he always shows up late, drives yeah. up in a limo. I mean, and at this time he was it was a scandal. I was he was married to Kelly LeBrock, I guess. Right. And right. He was. But he was, you know, he was having an affair with his uh with his uh, nanny or his babysitter or whatever, you know, this girl. And uh, I saw them together. So much. like one day he invites the, de- he said, he always, he's trying to rent stuff from his house in Beverly Hills for the film, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, first of all, I'm thinking, God, this is really weird. So he invites me and the decorator over to see if there's anything he likes. And we walk in his bedroom, takes us upstairs. We walk in the bedroom and there's this, there's this girl that I'm reading about in all the scandal sheets laying there partially naked on the bed. <laughs> And he just walks right by her and she tries quickly to cover up. And he's like, could you rent my saddle? Could you rent my tiger thing? Can we tell you, you know, Ernie, the decorator on that show goes, yeah, sure. Steven. Yeah. Anything, Steven. Sure. And I'm thinking like, God, what a weird, what a weird thing. I'll tell you a funny story. We're down in the old Herald building in the middle of LA on a Saturday scout. And it's an extremely ornate lobby. This is for the final fight he has. If you've ever remembered, uh, Glimmer Man. He has a final I remember the Glimmer Man. Yes, sir. I have got to be honest. Yeah. I do not remember Glimmer Man in yeah. a lot of it. I, I'm sorry. There's, he fights this climactic battle with this really badass guy that's killed his wife and killed everybody. And there's this climactic fight. So I'm standing. Steven's there. He comes up in his limo. He gets out. And I'm standing with the producer, the cameraman, a grip electrician, just a few people for a quick Saturday scout to see if we could shoot the Herald building, right? Which is extremely ornate. Like Hearst, Hearst built this unbelievably ornate lobby. I've never seen anything like it. And uh, so Steven doesn't like it. So he, he says, turns to me and he goes, he doesn't mean he didn't want to go there and shoot. He turns to me and he goes, Bill can build it on stage. Can't you, Bill? And I'm like, <laughs> oh my God. And, and the producer is standing next to me. He grips my arm so hard. And I'm going, yeah, I can build it, Steven. I, I can build it. And he says, see? Bill can build it on stage. So why don't we shoot it on stage? So I don't have to come down here. So I'm like, Oh my God, everybody's like, Oh shit. Here goes another half a million dollars. Cause we got to build this whole thing. But he disappears. He, we, we look around and he's gone. So suddenly we had one last stop on the scout, the top of this building. They always shoot in LA. It's got a big, uh, I think, I think the Russell McKay shot Highlander up in the top of this little building yeah. where there's a big, the old fashioned sign on top of the roof and all this right. stuff. It's a big, it was a big crack hotel and uh, Steven's gone and they go, the location manager goes, Oh my God, he's going to the next location. So they throw me in a car. We race across LA, leave everybody to look around that set and try to figure out how they're going to give me another half million dollars. But we race up there. I get there in front of this building on main street, just in time to see Steven and this girl that he was dating, scandalizing, Kelly and all of the mm-hmm. town dating his nanny, getting out of the car, and his, he's all, always dressed in black, just like Steven Seagal, right? Yeah. He takes a gun out of the compartment. He sticks a gun, big gun, in his waistband, and he walks across. Man, this is Saturday, so there's a lot of traffic or people around. Stick, and I'm here to see this. 
and he sees me roar up. I hop out of the car. The location guy has to run and try to find somebody and park his car. And I see Steven walking towards me with this gun. And we walk into that hotel with all those crack junkies laying around. I thought they were going to die. And I'm going, Steven, shouldn't we wait for everybody? And I'm doing it. He said, no, I know. I know this building. I know what I want to do. He gets, we get in the elevator. We go to the top of the roof. He runs to the edge of the roof. And he goes over the rail. There's like a little, just a rail. Then you're, you fall down uh, eight stories. And he gets over the rail. And he's leaning over and said, I can do this. I can rappel here. And I'm thinking, holy crap, he's going to fall. And I'm never going to work again in Hollywood. I'm the <laughs> only one here. And I'm going to go, How, why didn't you stop it? And I'm going, how do you stop this big behemoth, you know? <laughs> and, um, you know, he, and he has a gun on him, you know, in front of everybody. He says, uh, okay, I've seen enough. I know I can do it. So you're building this set on stage too. I said, yeah, I'm building you a four-story hotel on stage. He said, okay, we'll just do it there. <laughs> I'm like, they all roar up later. I said, where'd he go? I said, I, he got in the limo and he drove away with his girlfriend. That's all I know. But, you know, I, I, he'd have me, uh, for some reason, he, he liked me for some reason. I don't know why, but he, he had me on the stages when he'd rehearse his fight scenes, you know, in some of these bars. Like I built a really great bar for him yeah. that he has a big great bar in fact i think it's rated one of his top five fights in that bar and i'm watching him work out with his uh, he has some people he works out with and and he asked me to change some things in the bar he goes can you put a, a like a rail right here i said well steven it's already just i said just put a rail there uh, it's going to be great i'll use it i said okay so he changes things and sure enough he, i put a bar and a rail and i move some things he uses them so he really he's really not as goofy as a filmmaker as you would think he really knew what he wanted and he gets yeah. in a fight in that bar that is awesome. He he mm -hmm. fights like real big fights. There's no like woo 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 kung fu -y stuff. It's just big guys bashing each other. And if you ever want to look at the greatest scenes, that's that bar fight where uh, the guy comes up to him and goes, "I'm gonna all, all the all the mushu pork ponytail stuff on you isn't gonna save you from me." <laughs> and he goes he goes that great line. He goes, "You know you should I've got some of my my my." Uh, something that could help that bruise on your forehead and the guy goes i don't have a bruise on my forehead well wow you know that starts the whole fight it's it's an awesome fight just look it up on youtube it, just to see that fight he destroyed my set but it was awesome to watch <laughs> you know so but he is like everybody will tell you quite the character he is yeah we... i mean he started eating they sent him to a fat they sent him to a fat farm in uh somewhere to slim down because his, his butt gets so big and uh he, my art department was right at the entrance of warner brothers you know where they had an art department i'm on the ground floor and he started coming in hanging out in our art department and but what he was doing was he was eating our craft service you know donuts and coffee and crap we have in the back and i got called <laughs> into the producer's office actually saying you, you can't have him coming into your office all the time i said well because he started putting weight on again and i'm like well first of all he's steven seagal so how am i going to stop him and and second of all he is a producer he's got a producer's credit on this thing how am i going to stop him? he said well he's eating all your craft service i said i know he's eating all our cookies and craft service and stuff we have in there in the morning that the girls bring in for the art department he was <laughs> he was eating it all and i i said well you tell him your producers you stop him. I, so that's below my pay grade. You know, I'm a below the line guy. You guys are all produced. You tell Steven Seagal not to go in the art department and eat all their cookies. I'm not telling Steven Seagal that. 
I wonder if his uh, mentor, I wonder if his, um, his idol was Marlon Brando when he was trying to emulate everything Brando did. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, he's kind of a, a pathetic character now when you see him. You oh, know? yeah. He's, well, he's, I just, uh, he's, I just curious. He's a nut. Yeah, he was double dipping, trying to, you know, he's getting a salary, he's producer credit, and he was trying to rent stuff out, and he was being cheap. Yeah. I'm wondering if he was just a really cheap yeah. person. Or... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well. Anyway, uh, so uh, our other bonehead, and I, I know I said we were going to wrap it up, but I have a couple more questions. He really wanted, he texted sure. me and said, you've got to ask him if he has a Joe Don Baker story. He worked with Joe Don Baker, man, was the text I was getting from him. Yeah, funny. I was just thinking about Joe Don. I worked for him on the Pack. Yeah, I art directed him called the Pack that he was in, and, and uh, I always sort of liked him. Really, I know he's he worked on. A, I worked for Sequoia Pictures a lot at Warner's for Paul Heller and Fred Weintraub. Uh-huh. When Paul, when Fred Weintraub left Warner's, you know, like everybody, he got a, a picture deal there, and that. I mean, I was standing there with Fred one day when he goes. He Fred saved Warner's when he when he brought Woodstock to Warner's the music album because. Yeah. Warner's was going to be cut up for parts too, mm-hmm. you know, but he said one day, I remember Fred said to me, well, Bill, I got to save Warner's again. And I said, well, how Fred, I was, I worked in the office, you know, when I wasn't working on my sculptures and he said, I'm going to make the greatest Kung or the w- greatest martial arts movie ever made. And I go Kung Fu. Cause I'd, I'd only seen five fingers of death. You know, he uh-huh. says, no, I'm going to make this movie with Bruce Lee. And it's going to be called enter the dragon. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, Fred, you're not going to save the. And eventually, of course, it did. You know, yeah. it 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 made a hundred million profit on a hardly any movie, and it did save Warner's. They didn't get busted up and sold for commercial property. But Fred were, used uh, Joe Don Baker a lot in his Sequoia Pictures movies. I saw Joe Don Baker a lot. I'll tell you a story. Joe yeah. Don Baker got, um, was hired. Uh, Wolfgang hired him to do a bit as the on Outbreak as the uh, head of uh, well, uh, the White House aide who gets everybody in and they're discusses uh-huh. blowing up, blowing up this town of Ferndale, you know, yeah. where this virus started. And uh, he got fired the first day. I, I saw him. He he parked. He was looking around. He, he looked a little like he had might have had a few belts. He saw me and he said, where can I park in this goddamn studio? So I showed him <laughs> where to park and I walked over to the stage and uh he got fired the next day and I guess Wolfgang didn't like his performance or him or something. Cause he's a real curmudgeon. So they hired that great guy. He's dead now that did that scene. R C R. R K. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I will pull it up right now. Uh, Chad. Can he give... did a great job in that scene, man. That's a spooky scene. When yeah. that emissary from says, I want everybody on board. I want everybody to know what we're about to do. We're going to bomb that town and kill that t- everybody in that town. I want nobody running to the press saying, I didn't know or we didn't know. I want everybody to sign off on this. You know, and he does such a great job, that actor. Yeah, Much better than Joe Dunn. <laughs> I'm having a hard time finding it right now on IMDb. I am so sorry. I don't remember the character's name, and I can't remember. Okay, I got a picture in the Philippines. Yeah, it's R, it's initials and then a name. R's. I worked with Joe Don Baker and Susan Sarandon on a on a B movie uh, called Checker Flag or Crash in the Philippines. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So um, that's how I got my art director's card actually in '76. I mean, some this was right before Susan Sarandon did Atlantic City and blew up, and Joe Don Baker played a race car driver, and 
we were doing it, shooting it outside of Manila in the jungle, this road race film. And on the other side of the island, uh, Coppola was shooting Apocalypse Now. <laughs> so they, they were this crazy movie on the other side of the island. And I was on this smaller B movie on uh, Closer to Town. But I, I, I heard stories, you know, the stunt guys would try to get to the airport in Manila. We were based in Manila at the uh -huh. Queen's Hotel, Elvis Hotel. And they would tell me stories. They would come in and use our showers in the hotel. <laughs> they go, you can't believe what's happening, Bill. We're all living in tents on the other side of the island. And I'm going, oh, my God, it sounds terrible what you guys are going through. And, and now we've all read the books and heard the stories. And, you know, Apocalypse Now is probably in my, might even be my top three films of all time, I think. I love Apocalypse Now. What are the other two? Trying to think offhand. You know, I... I'd have to think about that, but I know Apocalypse has always stayed right at the top of my, I used to do a top 10 film yeah. thing in my art department. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd have a, my art department coordinator do a, you know, 10 lines mm -hmm. and everybody could fill it in, but you couldn't fill it in. You know, you had to pick 10 films out of all genres. Yeah. Not top 10 people. People would go, it was a really a psychological test and we do it for the whole, the whole length of a six month show or ever long you're on a show we pin them up on a board. You can change it, and you as other pictures occurred to you, and people would start screaming, "I need top twenty, or can't we just do top twenty, top ten westerns and top ten love stories?" I said, "No, you have to put uh, Darby O'Gill and the Little People on your list and drop uh, <laughs> drop uh, Apocalypse Now off the list. You know, whatever your pleasure is." And they would go crazy, these people, these art devices. I saved them all. I got them all saved somewhere. So I can't remember what my top – I know uh, – uh, what's the great movie that uh, Michael uh, uh, did uh, with James Caan uh, with Tangerine Dream Music? Uh, oh, Thief. Uh, the, thief. Thief. I think Thief is always in the top three. Thief, I like Thief. Apocalypse Now. Yeah, I love that movie so much. He's so badass in that. A thief, Apocalypse Now. Uh, oh, I'd have to think about it. It's probably a great old Western. I yeah. love Tombstone. I love Western. Or, you know, there's a lot of great movies out there. I'd have to see what my... I don't remember what my top 10 is, but it was always a fun experiment to do with people. <laughs> they would go nuts. All right. So, um, we, man, I could talk to you for another three hours about Deep Blue Sea, Small Soldiers, Hocus Pocus, Newsies. Well, my wife's a huge Newsies fan. Out of those, yeah. what would you like to talk about to kind of wrap up? Uh, Chad, did you have something before I started? To... No, no, no. Um, no, I just um, figured we'd talk about one of those and then... Yeah, so, I mean... <laughs> well, hey, go ahead. There's so many movies yeah. that we could talk to you about. Right. Yeah. Well, we'll do this. Maybe we'll do this again sometime in a couple That's months a, or something like that. That would be great. So yeah. let's end with small yeah. soldiers then. Go ahead. Well, I, I loved, I love, you know, I worked for Joe on Piranha. I uh -huh. directed Piranha. For, and uh, we shot that down. Actually, we shot in the pool here, the Olympic pool in LA and then down in Texas. In fact, I, you know, I just talked to Joe uh, quite a bit the other night. Uh, in fact, I talked, they were about to show, this is when they were having the screening of Piranha, which was great to see a beautiful 35 millimeter print. I think it was either, I think it might've been his print or John Davidson's Was that print. at you the know, they have a, That was at the Egyptian. At the Egyptian. The Howling and the Piranha. So, so Joe was there, uh, you know, early and I was talking to Joe and I, I told him a funny story he cracked up because I, I ran into Barbara Steele at a Montsapalooza uh -huh. uh, 
about a year ago, a couple of years ago, maybe, and we started chatting. And I'm, you know, always, I'm sure you guys are big Barbara Steele fans from Absolutely. all her yeah. movies. And she yes, remembered, this is what I was telling Joe. First of all, she says to me, can you believe that Joe never ages? I said, it is weird, because she looked great. I, that's how it started. I said, gee, you look great, Barbara. And, yes, she, said, yeah, good, yeah. and, and she does. She does. And, I, and then she mentioned Joe. And then she started telling me, she said, remember how we had no money in Texas? And we had to, you had to auction off all the, all the uh, props to raise money to pay the extras? And I'm thinking, God, I hardly... I do kind of remember. She remember now. This is this is a woman that's done 200 movies, right? Yeah, at I least. That, yeah. She remembered that whole piranha experience. So I was telling Joe this before we went into to where to see the movie screen, and then you know at the break when he and John Sales got up to talk about the film, he was mentioning you know that uh, how the budget was and how it was tight and they couldn't you know all the kids that we used locals from the colleges and so uh, anyway so. Joe had me back for Small Soldiers, so it was great to be back with him. And uh, I love that movie. I think Joe was not really happy with the movie. Oh, uh, I know he was, you know, he's always kind of, uh, you know, he's always like kind of got this hangdog feeling sometimes, you know. And uh, yeah. I think that uh, Amblin wasn't, you know, was fussing too much with his vision of the movie. Uh-huh. But, uh, I loved the movie. I mean, it was fun for me, and I was there to cheer him up. And he had we had a lot of fun. I mean, I that that's also become a little cult film too. It has, small soldiers. It has. I don't think it did big business at the time, but you know, all those little soldiers were so cool. And you mm-hmm. know, again, Stan Winston made all these. I have a lot of behind the scenes. I I posted something about six months ago, and uh, God, everybody on the small soldiers sites went nuts. I have anything you see on the internet of, of Stan Winston's shop and behind the scenes stuff I shot. Really? Because I had a, I had, I had a small Sony handy, they only made 500 of them, handy cams, and Dustin Hoffman gave me it as a kind of a gift, he gave one to Bellhouse and one to me, gifts of that little camera. So I started shooting behind the scenes things stuff all the time. So I have all the making of the small soldiers on eight millimeter tape, and I'm trying to get them transferred nicely to, uh, for my purposes, just DVDs, right? So I can play them. But I, all that stuff that is on the internet came from me because I'd shoot it and I'd make a dupe for Stan and his guys to see how the little soldiers are going. So I was fascinated with the whole project. And of course, we built all these cool sets. We built two huge houses, you know, in the in the back lot there at Warner Ranch, and uh, you know, we built all these specialized stage sets, so you know that the uh, the, the small soldiers could be puppeteered and. I think it's a really cool movie. I think Joe did a great job on that movie. Well, I think Joe does a great job on everything. I think the issue has been he's just been very unlucky. It's, for example, Inner Space is a wonderful movie that just. Yeah, I sat next to him at the screening. Yeah. I sat next to him. I mean, he was. Uh, that, that's a movie. That's an unsung movie that's so cool, too. Yes, Inner it Space. really is. That's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I. I, I talked to Joe again. It was a little bit like the Walter Hill story we started with early on is Joe said to me, I just can't get things going. It's just not, he talked to me for a long, I saw him at Monster Palooza and we sat there for half an hour and talked. He was waiting to go in to do a, you know, a big, big thing in their big hall there where he gets yeah. up and talks film. And he, uh, uh, we just chatted for a long time and he says, it's just not the same business. Is it Bill? I said, Hey, I'm out of the business now, but you know, Joe wants to work, but, uh, 
you know, he, Mick Garris wrote a thing for them. They did kind of a, an anal, anal, kind of, what do you call it? Not an analog, but a, an anthology. a series of stories. Yeah, we yeah that's all an anthology. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but he said, if it wasn't for Mick writing that and getting us all back together to do that, I really haven't been doing anything. He seemed a little hangdog the last time I saw Joe. Yeah. But he, he's, he's such a film historian. He can he really tell is. you more about film from any angle you want to discuss with than anybody you'll, he, he he loves films so much he collects films he knows all these have you, have you guys ever seen the the uh the book that came out last year called uh, a thousand cuts no about collectors of it's fabulous i, will... I went to uh, see him speak and these kind of nerdy guys like me like you guys yeah absolutely uh, that love film. And they all live in Burbank, these guys, and they all collect old 16 millimeter and 35 millimeter films. And all of their wives are threatening to leave them because they're <laughs> cutting holes in the living room wall to do a projector room in the den that was supposed to be the something. And so Joe was talking along with these guys about the history of collecting films, you know, from, you know, Roddy McDowell getting arrested early on. I remember that when I was a kid, Roddy McDowell getting arrested for too many 16 millimeter films and Joe has a huge collection, but yeah. these are the guys that saved films because uh -huh. now the studios are trying to patch these together and re-release them. They have to go to these collectors, which maybe not illegal, but maybe, you know, somebody flipped them a, a reel from somewhere. Uh -huh. They need pieces of their films now to, to patch together, to re-release films now. <laughs> so uh, I found it fascinating and he knows all about that era and, Oh, he was telling stories about driving by uh, uh, Technicolor and seeing stacks of canisters of 35 millimeter film just sitting on the curb being thrown away of these films. And, but if you get the book, A Thousand Cuts, uh, it's written by Film Library. It's just a fabulous book about these guys, you know, and where they found films. And, you know, they were it's just, but anyway, just, I can't, I can't speak highly enough of Joe. He's really one of my heroes. What? And I, I see, I, I see the lines at conventions, waiting to hear him talk, and maybe Rogers there sometimes, or yeah. somebody else. But uh, they really want to hear Joe talk about those days. So let me ask you two quick questions. One: Why haven't you been on his podcast, or did I miss it? You, the films that made us, the movies that made us. Yeah, yeah, I know about it. I don't know. I've never been asked. I've you need to be asked. Well, that's okay. He's turned to us down if it makes you feel any better. So at least you've been on Bonehead where Joe's not done. It's okay. We've been turned down by lots of people. But uh, the second one is, why did you retire? Because you retired. Uh, I mean, if you were still making some... I mean, you, know, you worked with John too. Of, Go ahead. Lot of, yeah. I know. I was fun work. Did you... John Woo. I mean, that was so great. To, I... I you know, I really felt like, you know, a lot of my friends were having heart problems and, uh, you know, I lost friends to drug issues, alcohol issues. Yeah. Uh, I had many of my friends have had that big scar down their chest because of the stress. Uh -huh. It's, it's a really stressful business. And, uh, I, to be quite honest with you, uh, I quit drinking about six years ago. Congratulations. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was one People, you know, you, you can't be in the business. If you go out with Wolfgang or John Seal, they have a bottle on the truck, John Seal, you know, and you, uh -huh. you can't, it's a social, it's a very social business, you know, and uh, right. 
uh, I decided that I was for health reasons, you know, my doctor said, look, you know, I just, I just drank wine, but it was like, you know, time to, time to ease back. And I thought, you know, maybe this is the time to get out of the business. You know, if I, you know, I, I, you know, it's no longer walking across the street from Warner's and having a couple of glasses of wine with the guys, you know, I, maybe I want to clean up my act. So, you know, I kind of quit. I'm real happy and I, I have some money, you know, and, uh, I don't really, I don't have as much money as I used to have, but I have enough money to hang out and do my art. And, you know, and I, I help people with videos now too. You know, there's a lot of filmmakers where I live here, young filmmakers. So I finance them myself, little two or $3,000 things and help put together a crew. And, uh-huh. you know, I loan stuff and, you know, I'm kind of in the business. You know, I shoot a lot of videos for you. I think Joe, you see my house of dots videos with yep. my friend in the desert. You know, we're out shooting stuff for her, for her YouTube video channel. And, uh, you know, I'm always out shooting just little iPhone things, but I edit them here and, you know, whatever. So I kind of feel like I'm still there. And I, I go to a lot of conventions. You know, I'm in the Academy, so I'm, I, I get invited to a lot of stuff. And right. I go to the awards most every year. So I, you know, I never really wanted to get in the Academy. Years ago, they tried to get me. And actually, Howard Koch did when he was... Uh, the president of the academy they they were looking for younger members then that was when i was a younger member or would have been a younger member i didn't want to join it it was kind of like a woody allen thing you know who wants to be in that club but uh, <laughs> you know my my older friend said hey look when you retire bill if you're in the academy it'll be great because you can always be involved in film you know i can use their library yeah. i get invited to every every screening maybe 10 screenings a day i get invited to you know, during award season. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm at the Art Directors Guild still, a paid member. So, you know, I guess I could. I, David Gersh calls me all the time. And, and I said, don't call me about anything, David. He says, but they people want you to work. I said, I don't want to work anymore, David. I, I'm so content just living my little simple life now. That's amazing. But the, the answer is, it's a, it's a very stressful business. You know, these are, you know, these are very stressful. You know, they're, they're giving people like me like $10 million dollars. Mm-hmm. And saying, you know, spend this money and don't let us down, you know, and it's a, it's a, it's a lot, you know, you want it, and it has to look good. <laughs> yeah, not just spend it correctly, but make it look good. So it's, 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 well, it's sir, a lot. Of, it's a lot. You have made them look fantastic. Try to. You have I've done good people. Exceeded. Work. Yeah. Good, good decorators, good illustrators, good. You know, set designers, a lot, you know, a lot of these people I've worked with are, you know, just tremendous. You have their master's degree in design and, you know, the, the movie business attracts interesting people like that, that, you know, they could, they could be in the outside world designing, but it's, it's, it's much more fun to be in a business where you're designing a volcano one day and a spaceship the next and a, a haunted house the next. It's much, you know, more exciting to, you know, apply yourself to the movie business, you know, for, all these great architects and designers. So right. it's a fun group. It's a fun that way. Well, thank you so much yeah. for your time. It has been an absolute sure. pleasure. I hope this hasn't sucked too bad for you. <laughs> no, no, it's fun. I, I enjoy yeah. it. People are interested in this and I, I, I enjoy talking about it. It dredges up a lot of memories for me. So uh, yeah. that's fun to talk to you guys about it. And I definitely want to take you up on that offer of coming back because like I said, we didn't talk about John Wu. We didn't talk about, we didn't talk, we didn't go in depth about Hocus Pocus. I didn't get my Kurt Russell story that I was hoping to get. Oh, do you have one quick Kurt Russell story for Chad? Just one. Oh yeah, for Chad. I'll I'll tell you you one quick, real quick story. Kurt Russell, 
you know, was starring in the Poseidon. I'm sitting next to him one day, and I love Tombstone, right? It's like, oh. I think it's one of the best westerns ever made. Agreed. So, agree. and I also, agree. Know, I also know George Cosmatos. Yep. And I know what a piggy is, you know, because I've had lunch <laughs> with him a few times. And I'm, I said to Kurt one day, he's sitting there all dressed up, he's wet, you know, waiting to go back and go on this sinking, this huge, oh my God, the set we built, six stories on stage 16 at Warner's. It was fire and rain and all this shit. So I'm just talking to Kurt and I say, you know, what I can't imagine, I was telling him how much I love Tombstone. He's, oh, thanks and everything. I go, what I don't understand is how George Cosmatos could direct that movie. And he said, George Cosmatos did not direct that movie. I directed that movie. And then somebody called him to the set and I never got to hear about what he was going to say. I go, and I never got to ask him, like, I want to know more. I want to know more. Because it was such he looked Bill. Me, he looked at me and said, he didn't do that movie. I did. It was such a, it's such a weird fit. The guy who directed Leviathan directed one of the best Westerns of all time. But Bill, yeah. have you not seen yeah. in the last couple of years? A lot of that's come out. And I guess Val Kilmer, who, whom I've met, who actually can't talk much anymore, actually has let oh. this out that Kurt Russell directed a lot of that movie. A lot of this has come out. Oh, it if you have a chance oh that's interesting i hadn't heard that you know you know i i go to tombstone for four or five days uh every year uh -huh. wow. and uh, i was there uh, i go for gun down days and i just stay i love i love the west i'm always in bisbee at the haunted hotel there yeah. the copper queen and i'm always at uh, roswell at the ufo museum and i'm always in tombstone for a while so i've been there when val kilmer's there and that town they line up for a mile to meet val kilmer Yep. They love that movie there. They love Val Kilmer. He, he's there sometimes. He's an artist. You know, he sells his yep. art there, too. Right. But uh, isn't that, I'll tell you another story of George Cosmato's story. You know, uh, I know an illustrator, storyboard artist that worked with him on that movie, on Tombstone. And she told me a story one day. This is George. George yep. is eating a bag of Cheetos. <laughs> or no, no, he is, he's, he's. He's sitting in his director's chair, right by this woman, very proper uh, woman, yeah. and the camera. He gets out of his chair. He turns his back on the set to take a leak. <laughs> so he's taking a piss, and while he's taking a piss, he has a can of cheese Whiz, and he's squirting it into his mouth. And the, and the, the assistant director says they're ready. He calls action all while he's doing this. Oh, <laughs> the God. The story from the storyboard artist who was sitting next to him, she could not believe it. That's a fantastic story. Yeah. Uh, uh, it was unreal, this image of this. Oh, my God. Because I, I had he, he's real good friends with, with the decorator I've used on a dozen pictures, Bobby Gould, who did Leviathan. Yeah. You know, yeah. Bobby. And that's, that's a great movie. And he knows it really real is. well. Yeah. The so creature invited me. Go ahead. He invited me to. Uh, the creature that sank all the time. He invited me to lunch with George one day because he said, do you want to meet George? I said, yeah, well, I'm having lunch with a psycho. I tag along. We're having lunch. George is eating and he's spitting food at me while he's eating. Oh. He's up, food, food, spitting food. And I'm looking at my friend, my, the decorator, who just thinks he's a character. And I'm thinking, God, this is kind of gross. This big guy is spitting food at me while I was like, he, he, he was too much, man. Oh. But I never worked for him. I never worked for him. Maybe I would have enjoyed it if I'd worked well, for him. Well, his, his son, Pan, is very talented, right? I, 
I don't know. He directed Mandy. Look up Mandy. Um, they. Oh, I like. I like. Did he? Oh, is, is that he direct Mandy? Oh, he directed Mandy yes, with Nicholas Cage. That's Pan. Cause I can never say the last name correctly. But yeah, that's Pan. Because mottos, right? Yeah. I didn't. He know looks like he, his father. He looks like him too. Yeah. He's a he's a very talented kid. Well, his kid. Oh, I, I gotta look it up. That's interesting. Yeah. I well, hey, up. there we go. We gave you some information. Two things you gotta look up, Pan. And also look up about the stories about, and it was Val Kilmer. It wasn't Kurt Russell. It was Val Kilmer that said, no, Kurt Russell directed that movie. Yeah, isn't that interesting? So you heard it from another source too. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. Yes. yes, yes. And you can Google it. It's all out there right now, Bill. So that makes more sense. You know, plus, plus Tombstone was written and started by that other director, you know, who probably right. set in motion, you know, a lot of the great, scenes and bits that were played out so uh, and he was fired in the first uh, few days or weeks correct yeah, yeah. yeah but you know all that prep that goes into sort of establishing you know working on the script and working on the all that came from this the other guy i forget his name off the first director I can't remember and, his name either so, well george just stepped into that and probably kurt was like yeah I'm, i i love this picture and I, it's funny that you know the kevin costner wyatt earp was the big a picture but everybody loves the B picture, Tombstone. Yeah. You know, that, that, uh, I love that. And plus, everybody, historians that I've talked to, and I've been in Tombstone a lot, and I've been in the Wide Earth Museum, I've been to all the graves, I've been everywhere researching this. They all agree that Tombstone is the much more accurate uh, picture of that whole gunfight and of all uh -huh. the Earp's uh, background and everything. So, uh, what if, for whatever, not that I want movies to be realistic, but for whatever that's worth. You know, yeah. that's interesting, isn't it? That the yeah, yeah, picture absolutely. got it more right. Yeah. So yeah. Well, I could talk to you another hour about Westerns. And yes, same here. I'm in Deadwood and blah, 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 because I spent some time in oh, Deadwood. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay, well, we'll just, we'll just uh, call me back in a few months and stuff, and we'll do another one if you if you hey, time. Hey, we would love to. How about we schedule it for six months from now, and that'll give us time to forget what we talked about in between and just relive this all over. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's, that's I'll probably forget it too. That sounds yeah, good. That sounds great. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute okay. pleasure. Um, we appreciate it, man. Have a wonderful night. Okay. And thank you for giving us your okay. time. You too. Take care, guys. No problem. See you too. Bye. Thanks, Bill. Grrrr. <sighs>